Albuquerque's macro aggression, Eddie Aragon, the rock of talk. Wednesday afternoon, I'm Eddie Aragon, the Rock of Talk on AM1600, KIVABQ.FM, rockoftalk.com, 550-5500 is the number to call or text this wonderful afternoon. And of course, uh, we're here for our hump day edition, hour one, two, and three coming uh, right at you and me, and we're going to be having a lot of fun here this afternoon as always. Didn't get too much, got a little bit stri- sidetracked as we were taking those live text yesterday and it got uh well kind of interesting uh, didn't de- didn't it dowd muska we we focused on religion not a, a subject that neither dowd nor i really enjoyed talking much about but when you get condemned to hell and uh you know you're you're getting these heathens here like eddie Aragon and dowd muska these uh, non-believers or telling people to leave the Catholic church and uh, you're just like, well, you got to kind of come out guns blazing. So we won't be focused on father Chavez today. We won't be focused on any of that kind of stuff. And thank God, I know doubt feels uh, that's a, that's a sigh of relief uh, and a big uh, weight off of his shoulders. How are you doing doubt? Uh, I'm well, you know, Eddie, it's, it's, uh, you've always said, you know, there, it's hard to compete in the religion radio space because there's so many stations and so many options available to people. Right. But uh, when you are called an apostate, uh, I think uh, maybe not in that actual term, but uh, I think you were right to rebel. Um, I'm still dealing with the fallout of today's big announcement. The, the wonderful news that Stephen Breyer will no longer be on the Supreme Court, but of course the sad news that he will be replaced by an equally objectionable, make it up as you go along jurist, I'm sure. Well, uh, let's not just any jurist, uh, D. Dowd Muska, a black jurist. Right. It yes, has to be a black person. If it's be. not going to be a black person, then what are we even talking about? In fact, this uh, just came out a few hours ago upon that. Like, we're all supposed to be spiking as a Supreme Court justice giving President Biden an opportunity to shore up the Supreme Court's liberal wing with a promise Listen to this. A promised nomination of a black woman who could serve on the court for decades to come. So uh, white men, white women, Hispanic men, Hispanic women, Asian men, Asian women, black men need not apply. It is going to be a black woman. So that kind of narrows it down. How many... uh, Black female justices are are there out there? Well, I, I wonder, Eddie, if you know we do have federal laws protecting against discrimination. So mm, if you are good point, uh, a federal jurist, a qualified federal jurist, and you are not picked for this spot because of your race or gender, maybe this might be the first Supreme Court nomination in history to be uh, challenged in federal court. That would be interesting. That would be interesting. Could you challenge it? Could you challenge it? Uh, that'd be uh, you know a case of free, free speech. If you want to set out to find a particular type, it's like if you're going to the the, the puppy store. I want a Sharpay. No, I don't want a a, 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 a Shih Tzu. I don't want a Pekingese. I don't want any of those the other Asian types. I'm looking in particular for a Sharpay, right? Mm-hmm. You know the the pet store can't just deliver to you another type of, of dog just um just to let you well, know Well, we know there's a scoring system for healthcare in america now yes so there is I, I guess our judges are going to have a scoring system hey it's all about keeping score right but i thought you only kept score if there were winners and losers which would infer that there's a 
you know, sort of capitalist mentality. Oh, no. They, especially the communists, love to keep score because they like to make sure that there's equal outcomes and every game for them, in order for it to be right, has to be a tie game. Full show here, hour three. Uh, we're going to talk finally. I wanted to talk about it yesterday, but I guess we wanted to wait it for today. Raul Soros de Porres. We'll talk about uh, St. Raul and uh, just how I just read some fascinating things. Uh, it's just crazy, right? 12 major cities, folks, hit all-time homicide records. Guess what was at the very top of the list? Who hit it the earliest? Yeah, it would be yours truly, Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, who was uh, number one. We'll talk about the other 11 cities uh, as well. That'll be a little bit later on uh, in the hour. Uh, hour two, we're going to go to parties, elections, and the color purple. We've got an interesting uh, setup for the dresses. Uh, by the way, uh, two sides of the same coin here in the state of New Mexico. You're going about to learn why. And a very interesting Twitter post. And then Daniel Chacon has that Twitter post, which I thought was very e interesting. We got Republicans dressing just like Democrats. I got to say, I am not a fan of this woman uh, whatsoever. Her name, Crystal Diamond. We'll talk about that. Uh, state and federal, uh, you know, visits uh, as all the elections ramp up. Joe Biden, you know I call him that. Right is right. And Covidiacy for the week. Uh, a lot of Covidiacy all over, especially in Israel, as we know. And we're going to get to an interesting Alex Berenson article before uh, in that second, uh, or excuse me, third segment of uh, hour number two. Hour one, <clears throat> as promised, all education. We aren't going to uh, just decide to go ahead and, and kick that to the curb. We got to focus right there. Education all hour long. Uh, we will talk about the flaming uh, progressives and the Working Families Party. And one, Eric Grego Montoya and Mylon Simonich's love affair with that man. So 550-50-500. Let's kick it off here. Now, we've all talked about this. It's more than just a bad rumor. But members of the National Guard are starting in as substitute teachers across the state. In fact, they're readying today, folks. Last Wednesday, they they came out with this weird publicity stunt stating that this would be a good thing. And the only thing I can think of that's good is that maybe they're going to say the Pledge of Allegiance. Maybe they're going to go ahead and, uh, you know, say prayer in school. Okay. Now, teachers made a whole list of demands of all this stuff. They want this, want uh, smaller class sizes, uh, less working hours, want to be paid more like they want. Of course, every commie teacher in the state of New Mexico. Oh, did I just say that, Dowd? Did I just say commie teacher? Sounds right. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Constantly whining and complaining. And remember, I said, take your kids out of Catholic church. Uh, take your kids out of public school. I think they're going to end up a little bit better if you send them to Christian church. I think they're going to end up a little bit better if you send them to private school somewhere. They said, the teachers said they never asked for the National Guard to step in. so They don't feel like they're being given the resources that they need. You can't really put the two together. But if they're not showing up, and they're not there, and they're the only ones who can provide the quality education. Did Michelle Lujan Grisham kind of negate the whole argument, even herself volunteering as a teacher as well? I think she kind of did. Yeah. Open mouth, insert foot. Uh, National Guard, National Guardsmen aren't trained to go ahead and uh, teach in a classroom. I uh, think of uh, Ermi. You might want to think in uh, Full Metal Jacket coming in. <laughs> How tall are you, private? You know, you, you feel like the kids are going to get yelled at, scolded, made to do 100 push-ups with a donut in their mouth, you know, before they decide to blow their own heads off. I kid, I kid. Sorry, but it went, went too far with a full metal jacket parallel. Okay. They said every single one of our students deserves a quality education in the state. Everyone. We know that 
They can't get that quality education unless they actually have educators who are in the state. Well, we know that. But kids can't go to school unless there's teachers to be there. So is this sort of like a walkout strike that they're not going to do it until, <clears throat> excuse me, the legislative session is over? Now, according to KOB Channel 4, Jim Mays, a special education teacher, says there's a lot of things going on that are driving teachers out. And when you drive teachers out, we're getting National Guard and different people in the classroom, but nobody knows how to teach because they are not certified to teach. Well, it seems like the teachers don't want to teach. So we're going to find babysitters, and the babysitters happen to be the National Guard. You get what you pay for, right? You get what you pay for. That's what they think. That's what we think. But do our teachers really deserve to get paid more? If you look at comparative, anal comparative analysis, and we've done this before, I can't go to the exact paper. I was not able to pull it up. But comparatively speaking, when you think about what teachers get paid an hour compared to the, the normal person, these, I mean, these teachers are paid $25, $26 an hour. I'd say that that's pretty darn good. And they're not the worst paid across the country, not even in the Southwest. Now, other quotes here from the National Guard, QB Channel 4 says, not just anyone can come off the street and be a substitute teacher. The process will include one background check, right? One background check. Wow. That's uh, the bar's high because there's not a whole lot of New Mexicans, I suppose, based upon uh, this inference that's made that not a whole lot of people can pass a background check. I was unhappy with it as at first. It's easy to fall into that trap that anyone can come on off the street, train four years of our life and to do it and to do it better or as good as we are. Now, remember, this is you teachers out there, 99% who probably voted for Michelle Lujan Grisham. This is your candidate. This is the person who's running the state. She's the one who thought it was okay, signed up as well, signed up as well for this entire thing. So if you happen to be sending your kids to public schools, do you honestly think that your kids are going to be getting a worse education? Chances are you're going to say yes every single time because they aren't qualified. But if you voted for Michelle Lujan Grisham, it's hard to disagree with her and her judgment. Hard to question her. She might come back and we see you at the airports. We see you at home. We see you going to school. We see you without a mask. According to Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham's office, there have been 59 volunteers who have completed the training. 46 of those are National Guard. 13 are state employees. Yes, folks, I said it. State employees, in addition to National Guard, are going to be allowed to go ahead and volunteer as we are short nearly a 1,000 teachers. Albuquerque Public Schools, as of last week, as of this publication, stated that they don't have any National Guard members in their classrooms right now. Well, we know that because it just started today, as in Wednesday, January 26th, not Wednesday, January the 19th. Okay? So we are here. We have arrived today. And true to form, the New Mexico governor and her ilk, which would be every teacher that voted for her, is going to get the National Guard in as substitute teachers. The Albuquerque Journal wrote, 50 National Guard members will participate initially with a plan to add another 50. Licensing fees will be waived for those who wish to participate. The teachers' unions are also, yes, all the teachers, all on board with the board members, and the teachers' union is also on board with the new plan. I put my head down here at this point because I realize the teachers actually don't care about education. They complain about this. They complain about that, that no one can do it better. And then their actual board, which they vote with 100% of the time, is now stating what? They're on board with this. So with the staffing shortages, 
right? 575,000 fewer state and local education employees. 65,000 left the industry between September and October. New Mexico will be the first state in the country to address the teacher shortages with, you guessed it, the very solution Michelle Lujan Grisham came up with, which is the National Guard. So, back to the legislature. Do the teachers actually deserve a raise if we are okay and the teachers' unions are okay with bringing in the National Guard? The answer would be a resounding no, they do not deserve a raise. There's no way. If we can get the National Guard to do the very same thing at a less price and we're okay with it and we endorsed it, then does any teacher deserve a raise at this point? Haven't they got raises for the last three years at this point? This might be one of the reasons why, and we'll talk about this later on in the program, right, Dowd, that Michelle Lujan Grisham, according to a new poll put out by Greg Zanetti and by Signal, stated that New Mexico voters want to replace Michelle Lujan Grisham. Could it possibly be part of the three-prong approach to removing Michelle Lujan Grisham? Everyone's disappointment with her educational choices and leadership? That might be the case. And you might want to go back to her very first cabinet position, uh, the recently deceased former chair of the New Mexico Department of Education. She's had two of them. Now it's a third. The woman does not understand anything about education, and we are 50th. She went through the first without even having so much as a meeting with her. She went down, went to Las Cruces. She got hit by a car, unfortunately. Then her second education, uh, New Mexico Department of Education chair, right, was making COVID calls from his home in Pennsylvania. Education is definitely not a priority for these Democrats. It's just a bargaining chip, and it's nothing but a good soundbite to say, hey, we want to put kids first. Doubt 550 50, 500. It's 550 50, 500. Your thoughts? Yeah, Eddie, I, I, the research on government educators, their salaries, uh, their education levels, uh, their fringe benefits, which are substantially larger. We're going to get into it a little bit later in, in the show. Uh, they had this ridiculous demonstration up in Santa Fe. Uh, we're underprivileged, we're overworked. Uh, every credible researcher who has looked into this, and I'm just looking at some numbers from the American Enterprise Institute. There's a couple of scholars who focus on public sector pay. And, and again, you know, don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, little Johnny and Janie, uh, their teachers, their teacher is a government employee. Okay. They're not, they're not competing in the private sector. They're a unionized government employee. Uh, the first thing you have to know about these folks is uh, a majority were education majors in college. Uh, more than two and three received the highest degree, usually a master's degree, in the field of education. Not biology, not mathematics, not astronomy, not history. They major in education, which is not exactly a rigorous uh, discipline. Uh, it's regarded by researchers and college students as, alike as one of the easiest fields of study. Um, the, the ACT and the SAT scores that our teachers tend to come from the 40th percentile of college graduates, not the top 10%, the bottom 40%. Uh, percent. Uh, when you factor in things like uh, the fringe benefits, uh, pensions, things like that, so, uh, their, their, benefit, their compensation package is substantially, substantially bigger. This is one study that was done, oh, it's kind of old, that's actually 10 years ago. A typical government school teacher with a salary of $51,000 would receive 
another $51,000 in present or future fringe benefits while a worker in private business with the same salary would receive uh, only $22,000 additionally in fringe benefits. I have not had sympathy for unionized government school teachers in a long, long time. And in light of lockdown craziness, where these teachers are going to be around, they're, they're instructing students, young people who are at the least risk of coronavirus and they are and, the, and these unionized teachers are whining more than ever it is appalling and as for i'm sure we'll get the the texts and the calls that you know um, my wife is a te- i was oh, a teacher yeah, my I, wife I, yeah I, she I'm works not, so I'm hard i'm not like that where is the grassroots rebellion among the teachers who are exercising their rights to leave the union to de- they can also under federal law and state law state law here uh decertify their union if you're one of the good ones what are you doing to rip apart this greedy political power machine called the teacher union. Are you fighting your union? If you're not fighting your union, you're not part of the uh, solution here, ladies and gentlemen. So the truth hurts. And I think, Eddie, that's why they're so defensive about, about all this. And they paint this picture of, oh, we're so we're hardworking and suffering and underpaid. I also have a little uh, uh, newsflash for teachers. I'm a white collar worker. Guess what? Uh, I work more than the standard hours. I spend a lot of money on my own supplies. Uh, it's it's actually pretty common in the white white color workforce. Stop your whining. You are embarrassing yourselves. And the only good part about this, Eddie, is the worse they get, the more they drive parents to homeschooling and private schooling. So keep it up, unionized teachers. You're only hurting yourself. We, we you and you're helping us. You're you're making uh, the argument uh, for us. I apologize, yes. had my mic off uh, there. But uh, I think it's uh, really important uh, for people to understand that in the state of Utah has probably one of the lowest cost per student going in with some of the highest return. Culture matters. You know, work ethic matters. That matters maybe more than anything. Well, back on this day in 1956, Buddy Holly recorded what would become his first release, Love Me in Blue Days and Black Nights. Both tracks were later featured on That'll Be the Day. That'll be the third album from the Holly after Decca. Holly's first major record label packaged these 56 tunes after he had some success in recording from Brunswick and Coral Labels. Back after a quick break here in the Kiva on AM 1600 KIVABQ.FM, This, of course, not Buddy Holly, but a song called Buddy Holly by Weezer, one of my favorites. And you might remember it on the uh, Windows 95 disc uh, when you booted up your computer back in the day. in 61 number one on the uk singles chart with that one the singer's sixth uk number one song which was written by turk and handman in 26 first became a hit in 50 when blue baron orchestra reached the top 20 on billboard's pop chart then elvis recorded the song at the suggestion of his manager colonel tom parker as it was parker's wife marie mott's favorite song and of course that song 
was never to be the same again. It belonged to Elvis forevermore, forevermore, wherever Elvis happens to be. 550, 50, 500. There's still people who think that Elvis is alive or JFK Jr. is alive or I, anyway, all this uh, kind of strangeness that uh, comes in. More on education uh, here. And let's go federally first before we bring it back here locally and just talking about the state of our educational system in the state of New Mexico because federally, Remember, they are weaponizing the educational system. Joe Biden is against every single parent who will protest or bring up any issues and focusing on places like Loudoun County, Virginia. And 120 conservative leaders called on Miguel Cardona, the education secretary, to resign. And they've got an open letter published by the Conservative Action Project on January the 11th. He asked the National School Boards Association to send a September 29th letter asking the Department of Justice to investigate, you guessed it, you parents as the lawbreakers. This was directly, directly from the education secretary. And it went worse. We're going to get to that in a second from the Department of Justice and Attorney General Merrick Garland because it got worse. We've talked about this and we know that they are weaponizing the Department of Education against parents because they know better than you. The Department of Health knows better than you. Every governor, government agency that, the, that there is, right, Dowd? They all know better than us. We should only listen to the government and nobody else. So kind of crazy things going on, but this is what the U.S. Department of, of Education is all about. And they wrote asking for his resignation. They said, given his apparent role in the effort to infringe on the rights of concerned parents, it's clear that Cardona can no longer lead the U.S. Department of Education or play a significant role in implementing federal education policy. Now, before we go too far with all this and thinking that, well, the Department of Education de deserves to decide what it wants to do. It was myself and a number of other conservatives who suggested that removing the Department of Education entirely was the way to go. And it is. It is not the job of government to educate your children. Let me repeat that. It is not the job of the government to educate your children. That's not their responsibility. But back in 78, what didn't exist was the Department of Education. Somehow in 1979, we established the, the uh, Department of Education. All of a sudden, it's the responsibility. Now, this letter suggested deploying against the parents, the Patriot Act. It's now been removed, right? The secretary himself didn't solicit the letter from the NSBA. To understand the views and concerns of the stakeholders, the department routinely engages with students, teachers, parents, district leaders, and educational. So, oh, do you now? Yeah, you bring them all in, huh? Oh, and the unions. Let's not forget that as well. Attorney General Merrick Garland, this is how it got weaponized issued a memo at the beginning of October directing both the FBI and the U.S. attorneys to investigate those who object publicly to school policies from an agency that's not even been around 43 years. I've been around longer than the agencies for the Department of Education. Treating parents as if they're domestic terrorists for so much as encouraging or providing insight or giving a different ideation about what they should be doing within the educational systems, either federally, locally, or what have you, is dead wrong. You cannot investigate these parents who are taxpayers, 
who are parents more importantly than even that, and who are allowing you to be around their children. Remember, that is a choice. They don't have to send their children to school. It isn't a requirement, but based upon what we're seeing from Merrick Garland, it just might be someday. According to uh, one conservative leader, they have numerous reasons to be upset at the way public school officials have acted in recent months, including their unnecessary and harmful closure of schools, implementation and onerous needles and needless COVID-19 restrictions like student mask mandates and injection of left-wing propaganda like critical race theory and gender ideology into the classroom. Now, for those of you who were upset yesterday because we were calling for the teachers that they don't work very hard, let me just give you kind of an update. Teachers want their teachers, or I should say teachers want their classrooms in a place that's very politically correct. And when they don't have that, they have more of a tendency to sort of, eh, I'm not going to go back to school until every person is vaxxed, until, until critical race theory is 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 uh, implemented, and I can say what I want in a politically correct way. In place in eastern New Mexico, it wasn't just happening here, just in case you thought I was picking on Albuquerque Public Schools. Clovis, New Mexico has become a little bit woke lately. How? Staffing challenges. Yeah, the same woke leftist type of things has happened in country Bumpkinville out in Clovis, New Mexico, where they milk cows and have farms. Clovis Municipal Schools called off in-person instruction due to staffing and potential bad weather. What do you think old Ma and Pa are thinking out in, in Clovis? What do you mean weather? What are you talking about weather? It was conducted asynchronously, asynchronously I guess, which <laughs> means a, students will work. Word, yeah, yeah uh, well, which, which means that students will work independently from home in the direction of their classroom teacher. What? You're going to be people out in the country now are going to be doing uh, remote learning too via computer. School officials had said that they had 47 teacher openings at Clovis Municipal School. Folks, we are in a world of hurt in the state of New Mexico. Let's look at it from their perspective. Okay. Let's look at the New Mexico educators themselves who are making these demands and these changes. What are they doing? Where are they going that they can't show up to school? Oh, yeah, they're going to the state capitol to protest. 500 teachers. We couldn't find 47 for Clovis. There's 47 openings. But somehow 500 teachers, activists, started the legislature outside the roundhouse to demand better pay, smaller class sizes, and a teacher at the Advanced Educational Services out of Las Cruces made the 290-mile trek to Santa Fe. With her 11-year-old son, Aiden, saying, I'm here because teachers and students are more exhausted than ever. Well, you weren't so exhausted the day you had to go back to school to make a 300 trip to go bitch and moan about the fact that you're not getting paid enough. Teachers overworked, says Carmen Merlano Whitlock. Remember, hyphenated name, you know what that means, Democrat. A fifth-grade teacher at the Virtual Learning Academy in Las Cruces. We're not getting paid the amount of salary that true professionals get. Well, you know what true professionals don't do? They don't show up and drive 300 miles a day before they're supposed to go to school to go protest and bitch and moan about the amount of money that they're making. These folks requested an additional $300 million, along with their fearless leader, Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham, a wage increase, which Michelle Lujan Grisham is gladly going to give them. And what are they upset about? 
They need more teachers. They need more counselors. They need more nurses. They need more workers. They need more mental health workers. They've got a thousand people who have retired in the last year alone. Becky Pringle, president of the National Educational Association, teachers said as more and more educators are leaving the profession, those of us who are remaining are being asked to do more with less. I'm sorry, Brett, Becky, but it's your culture. It's your communist teaching culture that's actually creating the problem. And you know what they were all dancing to up at the state capitol when they were saying all these crazy things? Yeah, Aretha Franklin's respect from a woman who died broke. That's right, Aretha Franklin. We're calling on lawmakers to raise the pay at a level that will stop the flow of educators out of this state. Well, what's stopping the flow of educators out of this state? A lot of it has to do with jobs, opportunities, and the culture that you have within your own teaching professions. Because I hear from a lot of teachers all the time who call in and say they disagree with their union and they disagree with all their friends and colleagues in the teaching professions. Making sure those people who have dedicated their lives to educate the students in New Mexico can retire with dignity. Well, right now we have New Mexico National Guard jumping in there to go ahead and educate our children. They're doing the job that you don't want to do because you're too busy making 300-mile treks to bitch about what's happening down in your classroom so you can get a raise. 550-5500. That's 550-5500. We're going to talk about school choice when we return, but I think it's hard to disagree with the fact that these people are not overworked because they have all the time, energy, and the resources to go ahead and gather up in Santa Fe the day before the legislature opened out. Yeah, I guess they're not so exhausted as they claim, Eddie. Uh, and as for our, our teacher friend Carmen there, uh, getting paid like a true professional, uh, we talked about it last uh, last segment. You come from the easiest field of study in terms of higher education. Your, your SAT and your ACT scores are in the 40th percentile. Uh, the federal government doesn't count your summers off in terms of the, the, the cash value of that. So that's not determined when we do comparative uh, salary uh, comparisons. Uh, your retiree health coverage, you get your retiree health coverage, which most private sector jobs don't supply, and your defined benefit pensions, which aren't really available uh, anymore. And Eddie, just finally on the, on the, on the, the National Association of School Boards, trying to weaponize parents who are f waking up to what's going on in their schools, turn it around a little. It, it's, 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 a it's a helpful way of thinking about, uh, about a double standard. What if these parents were going before school boards and they were getting maybe a little hot, maybe a little angry, maybe they were raising their voices, but they were talking about educational equity for BIPOC children. Uh, there would be editorials in the newspapers talking about these parents, they're brave, they're speaking truth to power. Uh, but apparently if you're conservative or you just don't want your children exposed to this racial nonsense, uh, then you're a potential domestic terrorist. Yep. Kind of an interesting double standard there. Yeah, the domestic terrorists uh, might be the ones that are teaching your children in the classroom. I think that uh, seems more Indeed. likely the case. 550-5500, back on this day in 1965, it was Pachula Clark. I don't think anyone's named their child uh, that since. Number one on the U.S. singles chart, a young Jimmy Page had played the session guitars on the track giving him, yes, Led Zeppelin's uh, Jimmy Page is playing, you guessed it, the guitar on a song that you know, Downtown here by Petula uh, Clark. Back after a quick break here in the Kiva. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk about charter schools and school choice when we return. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. When you've got worries, all the noise and the hurry seems to help I know. Downtown, just listen to the music. 
Sweet, it sounds like the doors. Put your head on your hand and down across the wheel. Doesn't it sound almost like, no, that band is sweet. Number one on the UK chart in 73. Uh, uh, can't say I've ever really that familiar with that song, but uh, there it is nonetheless. Sweet, their only number one hit, and they probably rode that uh, to every time that they played that for the next uh, 40 years. That's what you get when you're one of those bands. 550-5500, this day in music. Uh, D. Dowd Musk and I talking about, well, one of our favorite uh, topics, school choice. It's something that you should do. And there's a lot of interesting, uh, you know, articles that are coming out nationally and then locally. And then, yes, up in Santa Fe, believe it or not, yes, you have a say in your children's education. That's right. If you go to the website sfps.info, you can visit the Santa Fe Public Schools newly designed website and find a school that best meets your goals and needs. Funny, the very leftist, communist, uh, crazy, um, I don't know, whatever you want to refer to them up, the silver hair pony crowd, ponytail crowd up there. And remember, there's a lot of older parents up in Santa Fe. You have these like late 40, early 50s people. They're consistently adopting or having kids at that age and you know, they're like in their mid 60s and they're <laughs> their kids finally going to high school. Well, they're big into school choice up in Santa Fe. And that's what they're doing with the uh, Santa Fe public school system is letting people uh, choose. OK, now they have, according to uh, one of their educators uh, who's who's there, April Gallegos is a parent of a child in Santa Fe public schools, has served as a parent teacher association board member and on the school advisory council. Here's what she has to say. We've created a school system that is trying to be all things to all people, which is not practical or sustainable. While public schools in New Mexico are required to teach grade level standards, this method by which the standards are taught varies greatly between and among schools. Fortunately, teachers have the autonomy to teach the standards in ways that best fit the students' learning styles and their own method of teaching in their own classroom. The missing link is giving families the opportunity to choose where the children go to school based on the educational goals they've set. Choosing a school should be a personal choice and should not be dictated by your home address. How long have we been saying that, Dowd? In today's <laughs> world of one-parent families and parents who work full-time, aw, work. We don't even know what work is. And sometimes have two or three jobs. I like how they always say parents have two. I don't know one person that has more than one job. Attending the school closest to his home is rarely a top priority. So the board created and passed a resolution back in February of 2020, a month before COVID, call, uh, calling it Enhancing Equity and Excellence, a roadmap to reinvention. This is in Santa Fe, folks. The pandemic sidelined the action steps needed to implement the resolution, but the board has not forgotten the decision. It is with great hope once the pandemic lessens its grip, the board reignites this torch and leads our family into the 21st century of opportunity and success. Remember, this is as blue as it gets. Bluer than blue, sadder than sad. All right up there. No Linda Ronstadt included on any of this. Well, here's what's going to happen in Santa Fe. Because it's already happened in uh, the Californication of Palm Springs, California. This 
in my opinion, this woman is a disgusting, horrible creature. She is the poster child for the most ungrateful, most victimized single mom. I mean, everyone hates. I think she must hate herself. Just listen to this. Okay. She's an African-American single mother. Okay. The woman's name is Christina Laster. I'm surprised Reason decided to point her out. Because if you look at her profiles, like she disgusts you in every way because, well, you're about to hear why. She got school choice in California. And yet she's still finding things to bitch about. What is she finding to bitch about? Well, life. Life is impacting her. The reason why her son sucks is because she sucks even more. There's no way I'm sending my son to a failing school, says Laster. The problem is that Palm Academy doesn't provide transportation. Because it's a charter, the school accepts students from as far as the next county over. And without access to options like the traditional yellow bus, getting to school can be a major barrier to exercising my choice. Especially for a single parent household like Laster. Like, this woman can't keep a relationship together. She can't keep her crap together at home. I, I mean, I, whoa. Before you think I'm going too far, let me let me let you listen to more of what she has to say. It's a struggle for parents to get their kids to a charter school in suburbs that are very car dependent, where people may have to go to great distances. Like you can just hear the people in Santa Fe talking like this. Huh? Uh, I got to travel eight miles across town, you know, in traffic. Like traffic, there is no traffic in Santa Fe, chick. Pastor drives between thirty-five and forty minutes each way to get Daniel, her son, to school. Poor Daniel. Daniel wishes that this woman wasn't his mother at this point. I'm not kidding. I know you laughed out, but if I was Daniel, I'd be like, well, you know, the options are looking pretty grim when I'm in high school. Uh, I might just decide to take her out. After I drop him off at school, I'll just go to the park and uh, just spend my whole day there in meetings back to back or on phone calls. What does she do? Kind of awesome, right? Her longest days span from 8.30 in the morning until 4.30 in the afternoon. She doesn't have reliable Wi-Fi. Oh, my God. First world problems. <laughs> and when she needs to use the bathroom, she uses the public restroom in the park. Oh, my God. This is her choice. If Daniel was provided with transportation to get to school, I could do my work, my work more efficiently. Now... Drum roll, please. Here comes the punchline, ladies and gentlemen. What does Laster do? Well, she spent 13 years in the San Diego public school system and now works in education reform at the National Parents Union. Karen! Karen! Oh, did you, you think this woman hasn't reached slug status quite yet? Not only does she bitch and moan about the fact that she can't take her kids to school and oh, I got to take uh, things at the park because it's reliable Wi-Fi. Guaranteed it's at a Starbucks with a $6 latte. This woman literally school uh, sued the school district for mistreatment of her son. Daniel, her son, should sue her for mistreatment. She sued the school that she works for in Lake Elsinore for failing to meet Daniel's Learning needs. It's not the responsibility of the government to educate your child. 
Shortly after the case was settled, oh, yes, wow. Laster says she chose to move away due to domestic violence. Hmm, I wonder what drove someone to have domestic violence with a woman like Karen Laster. By the time Daniel was in first grade, Karen Laster said, the teacher mistreated him. By second grade, he was emotionally vanquished. Suicidal ideation. He didn't want to go to school every day. And he didn't want to go home to you, Karen. Oh. If we were to look at what happens with African-American or black males in this country, her son, if they're unable to read or write, then if they're excessively punished, that's what we call a school-to-prison pipeline. I don't want my, my son on the school-to-prison pipeline, says Laster. I want him to stay on the path he's on. At home, miserable with me. He's at grade level. He's not failing in English language, arts, or math, which is huge for fifth-grade black boys in the state of California. My gosh. She even frowns and looks down upon little black people. Yes. Despite Daniel's academic progress, Laster is considering, after all of this, suing the school, commuting, complaining that he didn't have school choice. Laster is considering homeschooling him again to avoid the commute. Daniel's going to kill himself for sure. And not, you cannot blame that on anything having to do at all with the school or not providing him an educational opportunity. Folks, just like in Santa Fe, people will always find something to complain. Or just in Lake Elsinore, the people in Santa Fe are going to find something else to complain about. They're going to make demands of the government that they shouldn't have to accommodate. It's impossible to run a bus. Where's the carbon footprint on a bus driving 40 minutes out of the way to take your child to school? Right? We need to recycle, Daniel. We need to make sure that our carbon footprint is reduced. But mom, the little yellow bus picks me up. It's 35 miles. Do I know what my carbon, just ignore that. It allows me time to go ahead and take the extra time in my bath so I can actually get my crap together. Karen is never going to find a husband. Karen is never going to find anything in life that is going to make her happy. That I can assure you of. This is why we don't cater to the Karens of the world. The world has completely changed. We're starting to talk about school choice. The left is talking about school choice because your educational system does not suffice. Back in December of 2021, 68% of respondents to an EdChoice poll reported that they are more favorable to homeschooling than they were before the pandemic. That's telling you that the educational system that comes from the government is not satisfactory. Also, with the bleeding edge developments of things like Khan Academy. Right? Rising support for educational savings accounts, which allow for parents to withdraw their children from public schools and receive their deposit back of public funds to pay for their educational experience, is actually grown to 70%. 65% by which public education funds follow students to the school of their choice. And 68% which allow you to run to privately run charter schools and or parochial, parochial schools. Seven out of 10 people right now believe in school choice. Why are we spending more money on it? Could Michelle Lujan Grisham in this election year actually be beat on this issue? She can. If we're starting to talk about school choice, listen up gubernatorial candidates. We're giving you an easy out here. The school systems have struggled to adapt to the unfamiliar conditions. 
Alex Spurrier of Bellwether Education noted last September, millions of families, their willingness to tolerate institutional sclerosis in their children's education is wearing thin. Yes, even here in the state of New Mexico. I and everybody in our community can no longer count on public schools, says Jennifer Reisman, a Maryland blue state mom told NPR. And I feel like after the last year and a half, there was a lot of that sentiment. This is just not something we can count on anymore. If you and your friends are dissatisfied with normal education and are giving competition a try, it's impossible to continue to think of homeschooling charters and other innovations as weird. The rubber has met the road, folks. Across the country and leftist states, it's going to come here. College admission tests doesn't matter. SAT, ACT, they don't care if you were homeschooled. They don't care where you get your educational from, your education from. They just care about your scores. Private schools, as you know, have gained most of the acceptance among colleges' employers. What do you think is going to happen with educational choice? Same exact things. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds put and observed in her own state, which is why I'll be introducing legislation that allows middle and low income families and students with an individualized educational plan to receive a portion of their pupil funds allocated annually by their state to move their child to the educational system of their choice. This is an idea whose time has come even for good old New Mexico, ladies and gentlemen. We can make the anecdotal points here. But we're showing to you, we're showing you as why the screaming wheels or the screaming spokes should not get the grease. Those spokes happen to be the educators and the Karens of the world who continue to advocate on behalf of their miserable sons like Daniel. It is not an issue that can be cleaned up by the government. 550 500 that's 550 500 Again, another uh, topic hard for Dow to uh, disagree with. He's been on this for some time. Oh, we we in the free market world have been, you know, preaching this for decades and, you know, making little progress here and there. But I don't know that we've ever made as much progress as we've made, Eddie, with the polling data you cited. Um, you know, there's been these stories, even in liberal publications like The New York Times, neighborhoods getting together and hiring tutors and teachers in these pods I know because the truth. schools were closed down. Um, obviously, homeschooling is, is, is going through the roof. You know, <clears throat> I think this woman who is, as you say, is, is rather an objectionable unlikable person um i think with what the governor of iowa is getting at even though she didn't say it what we're talking about is esa education savings accounts where you get not just a portion and not just depending on whether you're middle income or low income but you get the money the per people costs that the state allocates or the state and local governments allocate for your child and you get to to pick your own options and usually in the states that have these esas and are it's still a fairly new concept you get to spend any money you want as long as it's directly connected to your child's right. education. Exactly. So I can only assume, <clears throat> I don't know how prevalent this is in other states, but I can only assume that transportation would be part of that. So if you would send your child to a private school uh, or, uh, you know, whether it's religious or not, first of all, that school odds are is going to be, the tuition is going to be a heck of a lot less than your per, per pupil allocation, leaving a lot of money extra for school supplies and computers and maybe even transportation costs. I think what we're seeing we might be seeing the early death throes of the old educational model with these unions more obnoxious than they've ever been because those three letters, that acronym, ESA, Education Savings Account, where the parents are in control of that money, not the teacher union, not the politicians, it scares the bejesus out of these people because it, it could mean the end for their political empire, and we certainly hope it does. Let's hit the top of the hour news. Good one, Dowd, uh, on this day back in... 
Well, good old 1955, the late great Eddie Van Halen, the Dutch guitarist who had the 84 number one hit Jump, this one, and his guitar solo in the track, Eruption, was voted number two on the Guitar World magazine reader's poll of 100 greatest guitarists of all time. He was born on this day back in 55. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Hour two, just for you, up next. Albuquerque's macro aggression. Eddie Aragon, the Rock of Talk. I am Eddie Aragon, the Rock of Talk, and AM 1600 FM, Rock of Talk.com. 550-5500 coming in at you here on this hour number two. D. Dowd Muska and myself. A lot of ground we covered. All education uh, during hour number one is. Uh, all we discussed, and uh, with good reason, uh, the educational system is in shambles. We've shown uh, basically it's seemingly also on its last legs, and uh, the last legs being uh, that you're going to pull your children out, and they're doing it, giving people school choice in uh, such places as Fantasy, uh, the fantasy world uh, up uh, north. Hour two, D-Dowd Muska, how are you? Uh, I'm well. I'm just reading about some uh, a political issue, which I don't track very well, but apparently... Mitt Romney's going to be going out campaigning for Liz Cheney out uh, in Wyoming. Of course. Of course. Willard I told Mitt you, Romney. I told you the groups of uh, people, if you're a Dallas Cowboy fan who works for the state of New Mexico, who's a registered Catholic and a registered uh, Democrat, uh, you were on my rocket ship to the sun. Also on my rocket ship to the sun, uh, Democrat Mormons. Yes. Or liberal Mormons. Also on my rocket ship to the sun. Uh uh, spend some time with any one of those groups of people, folks, and uh, you'll be uh, uh, counting your uh, wishing for a quick death. Uh, trust me, it's a well, totally you know, unlivable Mitt, world. Mitt Romney, Republican, Mormon, Harry Reid, Democratic, Mormon. What difference does it make? Yeah, right? they're the same. They're the same ilk, uh, of course. Uh, in our first hour, we uh, covered the National Guard educators, education in the state of New Mexico, including what's happening and what they're demanding and the charter schools uh, and how they seem to be ushering in. Hour two uh, coming in. Well, we're going to talk all politics. Flaming progressives, right? Uh, we're going to have the most flaming of those progressives. And we do mean flaming. Um, hmm. Boy, I love. Anyway, uh, we don't want to go too far that way. Let's talk about Tim Keller because uh, Tim Keller, he's got to go ahead and strengthen the city's leadership, right? How does he do that? He uh, immediately, what did I say? There wasn't enough black leadership in the city of Albuquerque. Uh, doubt who's the first person that he hired, right? A black leader, <laughs> right? Uh, right. For the economic de development, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I think that's that that was the position. Uh, somebody, in my opinion, who wasn't qualified based upon what we saw of his background. But hey, hey, it's Tim Culler's world. We just all live in it, right? You voted him in, uh, folks. Could have had somebody else, but uh, I guess you wanted uh, Tim Keller. Then, <clears throat> on top of that, now we've got a progressive social activists in Eric Griego. Each of these hires fills a need and a key role in our city will help us achieve shared goals. What, what shared goals? This guy who got his PhD when he's 55, Eric Griego. You mean the guy who uh, was head of the, uh, <clears throat> what's the name of this ridiculous party? 
that he was the working people's party, like nothing working could, families, yes. uh, working families. Oh yeah. Working and families, two things that Democrats are dead set against working and families. Why? Well, just look at uh, some of their policies. I look forward to this opportunity to help drive community engagement and strengthen collaboration with groups that are working on our city's pressing issue. According to, yes, former Working Families Director Eric Griego, now Director of Outreach and Advocacy for what? Oh, there is no other title. He's just Director of, you know, like outreach, you know, like, like advocacy, you know, outreach, you know. Working together, we can advance initiatives that work for Albuquerque and create meaningful change in our community. How long have the Democrats been in charge here? What the hell is Director of Outreach and Advocacy? Why did it take him 55 years to get his PhD? For the first 10 years of his career, you guessed it, folks. This guy has been all over the political map, ladies and gentlemen. Here's who he has. Here's who Tim Keller has working for him. Labor issues, right? basically unionizing international economic and labor issues at three federal agencies on Capitol Hill. He's elected to the city council in 2001, where he co-sponsored, you guessed it, an increase in minimum wage. One of the first nation's first local public financing systems for elections. You saw how that worked. We're going to be voting Democrat for the rest of our lives. In 05, he was appointed assistant cabinet secretary for economic development under, yes, Globalist Governor Richardson, where he led state efforts on community and local economic development. Then he went to the state Senate, where he went with progressive tax reform, driving rich people out of the state, passing legislation, promoting green jobs. Yes, the woke stuff. Oh, this is great. I'm so glad he's doing advocacy and outreach. Then what else did he do? Issues affecting the state's working children and families. I don't know. Is there working children here? Wouldn't you want to pass labor laws that prevent working children from working? I was a working child. I grew up on a farm. <laughs> so wait, wait, it gets even better. So before leaving to run for Congress in 2012, he ran the largest and most active anti-poverty advocacy research and policy organization. Yes. The kid kids count group, New Mexico voices for children, which currently ranks children 49th and 50th every single year. Boy, the progressive and the especially successful Eric Griego, now Eric Griego Montoya, running with New Mexico Voices for Children. He was a research fellow at the Center for Social Policy at the University of New Mexico. His teaching and research focus on sustainable economic development. Do you know that the only thing that sustains the economic development in the state of New Mexico? Federal largesse. That's right. That is not sustainable economic development. Also, social capital, whatever the hell that is. From 2017 to 2021, he was the state director for the Working Families Party. Why is he getting this? Well, let me give it to you. The man has done a lot of work, and they created a position for him because he's been able to oust, count them, six Republicans. That's what the Working Families Party did. He's nothing but a political organizer, folks. That's all he did. Mylon Simonich is in love with Eric Griego Montoya. Absolutely loves him. 
Because the Working Families Party was going after all those Democrats who were Democrat in name only. How original, Eric. Did you borrow that from anybody? Say, maybe the Republicans? They ousted five of the incumbents targeted by Working Families Party. So what does good old Tim Keller do? He rewards him by giving him a job in the city of Albuquerque. The biggest name that he was able to remove was the only guy who had the keys to the budgetary kingdom in the state of New Mexico, Senator John Arthur Smith, who was kind of like an everyman. Proud of yourself, Eric. You like Michelle Lujan Grisham spending all that money. But you might remember other conservative Democrats opposed using a portion of the $22 billion land grant permanent fund to expand early childhood education programs. Now what do you have? You have Mo Maestas, you have uh, New Mexico Kids First, New Mexico Voices for Children, all of these advocacy groups doing what? Raiding the land grant permanent fund. No tierra o muerte with us. We want to give it to the kids and just give it, give it, give it. Well, Grego was also an observer trying to elect even more liberals. Literally, that's what they wrote, liberals. He, all while he was pursuing his doctorate degree in political science, which he just received last fall. He said that's what he was focusing on so that he could go ahead and get hired once Tim Keller got elected. He was actually at one of our debates, uh, incidentally enough. Do you want to know what happened to good old Eric Griego? Do you want to know why he never made it beyond the pale after he ran for Congress? Because it was none other than Michelle Lujan Grisham who exposed him. She's good. Turned up all sorts of issue. He had 11 warrants, 11 warrants for his arrest. While he was serving in Governor Richardson's office, who I guess doesn't do background checks, <laughs> uh, case in point, uh, one Jeffrey Epstein, no, you don't have to register as a sex offender. 11 warrants for his arrest between 2000 and 2007 after he failed to appear for court hearings on speeding tickets. I know where to find him. He's in Governor Richardson's office. <laughs> so what did he do to get this job? Well, he got his PhD and he's done a lot of ass kissing for Tim Keller and the rest of the liberals throughout the rest of the state. This working families party did every single thing that it could to get every liberal elected. Terry Hamblin running against Mary Kay Papin. I think Mary Kay Papin is 135 years old, but she decided to run again. Hamlin entered the 2020 Democratic primary and defeated Mary Kay Papin. Griego's party also helped defeat Clemente Sanchez of Grants and Gabriel Ramos of Silver City. Also, the Working Families Party assisted Leo Jaramillo. He also routed Senator uh, Richard Martinez. Yeah, that one, the drunk one. Enojo Caliente. The only conservative Democrat senator to win the face of opposition against Griego's camp was Jorge Munoz, a uh, Democrat, uh, by the way out of Galoop. So uh, that's one of the things that you need to know. And that's what we do in the state of New Mexico. It's all about you scratch your, I'll scratch your back. You scratch my back. Folks, uh, this is what's wrong with the state of New Mexico politics. Okay. It is cut up for these progressive idiots who continue to get elected, appointed, and who continue to run things. And they have a very, very progressive agenda. Now I had the, uh, Opportunity to sit on a panel with Eric Griego on uh, New Mexico in focus. Uh, oil and water would be the best way I would describe uh, him and I uh, during that interface. But uh, didn't get along well, the boys. No, we didn't. Uh, he <laughs> took a lot of issue uh, with me. But uh, you know, we're sort of from the same part of town. Uh, Dowd, your thoughts on uh, good old Eric? You might uh, remember Eric in his last name. One of the things that the news media is uh, sort of protected uh, his connection to is his connection to a particular church here in town. 
and I believe his nephew or one of his family members uh, in a uh, big uh, crime that happened uh, with a church uh, here in town. But uh, your thoughts, Dowd? Well, you know, I, I sent this press release. It, 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 sometimes it's worth reading the press releases from the city of Albuquerque. You know, there's a lot of nonsense in there, but I do think that this hiring and, and basically what you're seeing now is a political activist slash community organizer on your dime, ladies and gentlemen. Now he's on the payroll of the city after, I guess, make, getting money for, as a lecturer at UNM, getting money as a city councilor, uh, getting all sorts of, well, a, a state legislator, you get a little money from that. Um, he, this guy's kind of the Zelig, if you if you know your Woody Allen. He's sort of the, the Zelig of Democratic Party left-wing uh, policy, politics, uh, and university-level uh, employment in New Mexico. I mean, he is everywhere. Taxes and regulation on the policy side, uh, polit on the political side, being able to oust five of these so-called conservative Democrats in the state Senate. Believe me, they weren't that conservative. They just weren't crazy woke. Uh, they were a little more reasonable. They might have been a little less willing to raise taxes. A couple of them even thought right to work was smart for the state. But, you know, you get killed politically in the Democratic Party if you if you think that. So Griego uh, is just this Zelig-like figure, and I think he exemplifies the way that the left and the Democratic Party in, the, in New Mexico, they are playing three-dimensional Vulcan chess uh, with Mr. Spock as the Republican Party in this state is playing tic-tac-toe in a sandbox. I mean, they are, they are not in the same universes. I mean, what's the equivalent of Eric Riego on the right in New Mexico? There, there is none. I yeah, mean, it's, correct. There is no countervailing force to people like this in New Mexico. Uh, the Republican Party is worthless. We have a worthless uh, th think tank that's just one guy trying to get on television all the time. Uh, there are, and, and the really sad thing is Eric Riego is just one of probably hundreds of other Eric Riegos out there who run the show and spend the money in our state. Um, it is, uh, it's in his, you could say, well, this is just a dumb press release from Keller. Eric Riego is an instructive lesson in how political power works in this state. Yes, he is. And I'm, I'm saddened to report that there is not a single equivalent to Eric Riego on the right in New Mexico, whereas there are maybe hundreds, maybe thousands of colleagues of guys like Riego who are political activists, who have their hand in the, in the cookie jar on, on your dollars, and they are rewarded by people like Tim Keller. They, the swamp in New Mexico takes care of its own. We got a hell of a lot of work ahead of ourselves to drain that swamp. When we return, we're going to talk about parties, elections, and the color purple. Interesting segment uh, when we return right here in the Kiva. Number one, uh, yes, on this day back in 1974, it was Ringo Starr. Your 16, your beautiful, and your mind. Right here in the Kiva on AM 1600, KIVA, ABQ.FM, rockoftalk.com. right away I am about to meet a madman because everybody wants to do this why would he turn anybody down you'll find out in a minute and it's certainly paid off this is a fantastically successful album ladies and gentlemen here is Prince
Yep, on this day back in 1980, American Bandstands, first time you heard the name Prince, right there with uh, Dick Clark. Boy, Dick Clark uh, live at that time. So was Prince. Uh, that's how long it's been. 42 years ago here on this day, Prince uh, came out uh, and introduced himself to the world. He never had to come out the other way because, you know, Prince... Uh, uh, by the way, the greatest Super Bowl, Super Bowl coming in. If you ever want to watch the greatest uh, Super Bowl uh, halftime show, it is widely regarded as uh, Prince. Uh, when I don't know if you know this or not, Dowd. You're not a big no, sports what year fan. Was that? I don't know. It was like maybe, uh, seven, eight years ago. Literally, as Prince comes out and he sings Purple Rain, you can't make this up. Guess what happens at the Super Bowl? It starts raining. Yeah. Uh, pretty incredible. Uh, you'll have to find that uh, and uh, put that out there. But it's widely the 2007, regarded. 2007, Eddie. Was it 2007? I knew it was something. I remember seeing it, and it was, uh, yeah, I think it's the uh, Giants uh, Pat Super Bowl. That's when uh, Tyree caught the ball on his head, right? And they beat uh, no, the, Colts Bears. Colts Bears. Oh, Colts Bears. Uh, even better. I was on a cruise ship. That was the one where Erlacher was in there. I was on the cruise ship with my friend Miles and uh, his broadcasting partner, Tony Lynn. As uh, we were, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was uh, Peyton Manning's first Super Bowl right there. So, and also the Pro Bowl. What stadium did that, that take place in? That was uh, down in Miami. My, oh, there it is. Bienvenido a Miami for the Super Bowl. Los Super Bowl! Goal! Jorge Cantor! Miami! Right? You know, Got to do something like that. It'd be hilarious. But uh, anyway, I digress. Wait, don't get me caught up on sports trivia. I just lose all. But anyway, uh, Prince made his debut on the bandstand, bandstand. Who sings bandstand? Uh, that was, uh, was that? Uh, the, the we're going rocking. We're going running hey, away. We're going and popping. Down to fill it. How did they go? I got to know that now. Who sings? That's Barry. Oh, it is. It is. Yeah. Her name was Lola. She was a showgirl. Da, 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 da. Oh, that's it. It's over. It's Mr. Vegas himself. You know, Barry's still performing in Vegas. Did you know that? No way. Oh, yeah. Barry's still going. Barry, okay. Barry. Oh, yeah. Till, till, uh, till the Copa. Copa Caban. Did Frank Sinatra do that too? Or am I doing, uh, am I doing it? Uh, Frankie style. And Frank um, did a version of, of, Co of Copacabana. Did he? <laughs> he did do a lot of covers. <laughs> yeah, I think he might have done uh, Frank. Uh, let's see if Frank Sinatra. Look at us. Uh, Copa. Yes, he did. He did do it. I knew it. I knew it. Here it is. Uh, no, he did the girl from Ipanema. Right. Yeah, right. he did not He played do. at the Copacabana, but he didn't sing yeah. Copacabana. No, uh, let's see. Uh, Copacabana. Let's see. Copacabana, music and fashion, music and passion, we're always in fashion at the Copa, let's see. Fall in love. And a dress her down to there, she would merengue and do the cha-cha, and while she tried to be a star, Tony always tended bar across the crowded floor, they worked from night till four. They had each other. Who could ask for more at the Copa, Copa Cabana? The hottest part north of Havana here at the Copa, Copa Cabana. There we go. There it is. I did it. I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to say is, I did that. Is that, that. straight-no chaser? <laughs> <sighs> so bad. That is so bad. Every Everyone is saying the Copa Cabana at 
karaoke, right? That's yeah. when uh, that's when Japan and Brazil came together for fusion. You know, the yes, little. Yes. I think that's a that's a thing. I think some songs are so bad they're good. You just gotta like them. Yeah. I didn't, anyway, uh, <clears throat> where was I? We're talking about politics. How do you get into <laughs> politics after that? <laughs> That's so political. All right. Uh, Marco Marco Rubio, speaking of Miami. Huh? Huh? All of the sheriffs, they're behind Marco because of the crate. And you don't have to worry about uh, little Marco. <laughs> I, I love the little Marco and the water getting <laughs> tossed around on the. <laughs> Trump was so pleased with his. His uh, nervous Marco that he couldn't even down the water. You've seen people do that. Like they can't, they're holding their, their coffee and they're, they're so nervous. Like I would never have that problem in a million years. Can you imagine like people trying to, to lift a, a glass to their, to their, uh, to their mouth? <laughs> like that would never happen to me in a million years. Greatest nickname assigner of all time. Whether, whether you like him or not, Donald Trump is the greatest nickname assigner of all greatest time. Greatest nickname or assigner ever. The greatest. Uh, Polk uh, County Sheriff Grady Judd, one of the 55 Florida sheriffs who on Monday announced their endorsement of Marco Rubio re-election campaign, blasted the left's efforts to, quote-unquote, defund the police as well as the failure to defend law enforcement, noting that tens of thousands of people are flocking to the Sunshine State because it's safe. Here's why I actually brought this up. You don't have to worry about a single Democrat winning in Florida, folks. Literally every, Every redneck and every red voter has moved to red Florida at this point, right? I think, is that fair to say? Well, you know, my only concern, Eddie, is so many people are going down there from my part of the world, the Northeast, New England. I just hope they don't bring their politics with them. Well, I, I don't think that they will. Uh, Judd, a past president of Major County Sheriffs of America. Ho, ho, ho. Carl Fancy there. Fancy, fancy. Noted that he has worked tirelessly to stop legislation passed by the U.S. House, which has made it easier to prosecute cops, putting billions upon billions of taxpayer costs on communities for lawsuits filed against officers. So... He was uh, sort of alluding to the Democrat challenger in all this because she is uh, anti-police. She says, now I ask you, I want you to look around the nation. Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Washington, Baltimore, Chicago, Albuquerque, Washington, D.C., Wisconsin. You didn't see peaceful protests when they were burning buildings and smashing cars and injuring people, Judd said. Judd continued that 48,000 people have moved into his county. Um, you know what? Marco Rubio is going to win by such a large amount in this year's election that he might as well just... Hand off all the money to the rest of the Republicans. But if he happened to be in the same state as one crystal diamond, I would highly suggest, Marco Rubio, that you think twice before you hand it to the hot blonde from southern New Mexico, no? I know how you Cubanos love your love. Look, look, Manolo. I'm going to make this girl fall in love with me. Look, 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 look on my friend there. Wow, she's going to go stick his tongue out this girl. Hi, yo. <laughs> First you get the, the money, then you get the power, First then you, you get, get the, the money, then you get the power, then you get the ice cream. You get the ice cream. Watch. You just take a girl out for some ice cream. I forget it. Uh, this is the uh, most digressive, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, segment we've ever had. Uh, <clears throat> I just wanted to take a moment. This is uh, from Daniel Chacon. He's a big leftist, okay? He put this on his Twitter. <sighs> Quote of the day. I just wanted to take a moment to compliment my friend and colleague on the other side of the aisle. Senator Sia Correa Hemphill always looks so classy, but today she looks exceptionally stylish. Ha ha ha. Senator Crystal Diamond out of Elephant Butte. Now what's uh, hashtag NML? NM leg. NM not ledge. 
Enem leg. <laughs> These two women are posed in a hallway at the legislature, dressed in purple, matching skirts, matching. Is, is that what a, what's called? A, is that what you call a halter top? And uh, yeah, yeah, and, and uh, matching shoes. She got the matching zappos. Oh yeah, zapatos. Maybe I got it. So, I'm not a foot guy. I never, I never even saw those, Eddie. Yeah, they uh, similar left, shoes. Yes, uh, people have feet. They don't just float around like ghosts on Scooby Doo. <laughs> uh, so here we are. We've got purple and purple. What kind of message are they trying to send? We're all one party. Can we all just get along? Aren't we all just yep, friends? Yep, yep, I yep. think that's exactly what we're doing. And I consistently tell people. I get people who pick up the phone and call me. It's like, is your Republican vaxxed? Is your Republican masked? then that's not a Republican as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Cause that's not what's happening. That's not what is happening every other place. All right, folks, if you're going to go ahead and create a stark contrast, you don't try to mimic the other side and become right. purple folks. Right. That's crystal diamond. One of your leaders on the right side of the aisle. Here's what you do do. This is what the, and I do want to compliment the Democrats yet. Once again, they separate themselves. They all look like each other. None of them, uh, they all have long, brown, grimy, gringy hair. None of them look like they've taken a shower in three days. They're all wearing shawls, masks, and puffer jackets. And uh, in some weird way, they all look like they just visited the health food store, and they're all wearing long, black, or brown boots. Huh? Huh? <laughs> Representative Christine Chandler and her husband, George, at Saturday's Democratic Party, of the Los Alamos event. Uh, by the way, this is one of our uh, last broadcasts in Los Alamos. Maggie Toulouse Oliver speaks Saturday afternoon at Bathtub Row Brewing Company. There you go. Uh, what do these people all have in common? Well, they all have in common that they stick together. They all look like each other. They all walk and talk and act and smell like each other. We do not want our Republicans looking like Democrats. You know what I'm saying? You get my drift, Crystal Diamond? This is exactly the type of thing that I abhor hate and can't stand. We don't want our politicians on the right side of the aisle reaching across the aisle to, quote unquote, work with the Democrats. When we know that the Democrats literally hate us, they hate our policies, they hate our style, they hate our president, they hate our politicians, they hate everything about us. What does that do for us Republicans when we decide to do it? All we're doing is diluting our flavor, diluting our power that we do have and is very limited. Let's not forget, shall we? We're nearly a supermajority. They're nearly a supermajority in the Senate, and they're two votes away from being a supermajority in the House. Not good numbers, not good odds here for the people who are Republican and conservative in the state of New Mexico. Dowd, I know you're not political, but your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I highlighted these two these two images, Eddie, or, or these two links because, uh, well, particularly the the fact that these two women and they are attractive. Senators, I think any heterosexual man would look at that picture and say that these are no woman is attractive women. if you hate her. Just uh, uh, right, FYI. Um, you know, it, 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 and I guess this is some sort of inside joke in the roundhouse. You know, mm -hmm. they own, they live in their own world. Like a lot of the staffers are are constantly confusing these two women because they're attractive blondes, uh, one Democrat, one one Republican. But I mean, this just gets back to the argument I've tried to make, uh, and it really stems from an interesting point made by an editor back in my home state of Connecticut, which is. In Connecticut, and this applies to New Mexico, the Republican Party, which is pretty irrelevant in Connecticut and New Mexico, as, an, as, as at least ostensibly an opposition party, you owe the voters a different vision of government, yep. of governance, of public policy. Precisely. If you are truly an opposition party, you owe them a narrative, a policy architecture 
that's different than the one that has dominated your state for so yep. long. Yep. When you are a collaborationist uh, and when you are a go along and get along, when you tout, oh, we reach across the aisle, the voters didn't send us to the to the roundhouse to bicker. You are destroying your brand. Uh, Eddie Aragon is, has a skill, many skills I don't have. One of his is he's an excellent marketer. He understands how to market ideas and his station and his product, his candidacy, that kind of thing. You have to distinguish yourself. You have to differentiate yourself from the other brand. When you are on board with pretty much everything, whether it's funneling huge amounts of money to, to government schools, corporate welfare, trying to bring every federal dollar you can to New Mexico, you have not carved out an identity for yourself. And when you're taking pictures and wearing the same outfit and tweeting out little you know pictures that your 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 media people who cover you in the media and who don't ever ask you know any serious questions will retweet for you to send out this notion that you know we're good buddies um i hate to break it to your republicans but a lot of your voters did send you to the roundhouse to bicker they want you to fight they don't want you to reach across the aisle maybe they would be in favor of bipartisanship if everything were going well in new mexico well on pretty much every socioeconomic indicator things are going horribly in new mexico so you should be fighting you should be carving out an identity for yourself the more you kind of lean in to use a cheryl sandberg horrible woman uh term the more you sort of lean into the establishment thinking the more you try to glom on to the dominant party the dominant ideology here the more you entrench your own irrelevancy. It is very, very sad. I'll have this picture in the show notes tonight, Eddie, uh, to, to illustrate to people what's going on up there. But you just continually do not get it, GOP. Uh, you need a lot of help because you are on life support and somebody's about to pull the plug. you got to reverse course if you ever want to be relevant in this state. There you go. I could not agree more. Well put, Dowd. Back after a quick break. When we return, we're going to talk about uh, Joe Biden. Yeah, Joe Biden's and issue that stark contrast why don't you we're going to talk about polls uh line by line by the numbers by pinkerton and then uh talking about the u.s economy it's all about the money stupid it's all about the money it's jobs jobs job and money back after a quick break here in the kiva Eight till four. They were young and they had each other. Who could ask for more at the Copa? Copa Cabana. The hottest spot north of Havana. At the Copa. Copa Cabana. Music and passion were always the fashion at the Copa. They fell in love. the best i uh, know what love is that's what i'll get from skinner anymore i can't even go anywhere with uh it doesn't matter sweet home alabama is just a place where little forest uh met genie and uh you know they started out their life back on this day 
In 86, Alan Collins, the very guy that boom, boom, that, that riff, right? You start that, you're at a bar hanging out, and you hear you're like, woo, got a few beers in you hanging out. Yes, yeah, Skinner. Like, you know, the, the real Skinner guys are going for free bird. You know, guitarist Alan Collins crashed his car, paralyzing him from the waist down, killed his girlfriend, Deborah Watt. This guy had already survived a plane crash nine years before that that killed two other band members. Uh, quick question for you, Dowd. Look it up very quickly if you can. Alan Collins, alive or dead of Skinnerd? We lost him. Yeah. Uh, wow. Way back. 1990. 1990. He died four years later. How? How? Let us see. What finally uh, got the guy who survived a plane crash and a car crash that killed chronic him. pneumonia? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's what got him. Yeah. Okay. He didn't, didn't move. You know, he was moving fast to the plane crash. Leonard Skinner. Leonard Skinner, if I'm not mistaken, the name of that band uh, comes from doesn't it come from a car a plane crash, if I'm not mistaken? Or I don't know. Anyway. No. Huh. I'm, I'm thinking of Con Air. Like, uh, isn't it ironic that we're listening to this band while they're in the con air that died in a plane crash or whatever, killed the two of the band members? Anyway. Uh, Leonard Skinnerd was part of a reference to a character named Leonard Skinner in Alan Sherman's novelty song, Hello Mudda, Hello Fada. There you go. <laughs> what do I <laughs> The know? more distinctive spelling, L-Y-N-Y-R-D-S-K, was being used at least as early as 1970. Uh, That's okay. an interesting origin. <laughs> Hello Mudda. Hello, Father. Greetings from Camp Marijuana. Or no, it's Hiawatha. Anyways, yeah, that, that, that. All right. Uh, although that's probably, it doesn't matter. Joe says all sorts of things. Joe Bidems. He's helping the Dems. Say bye to Congress. Say bye to everywhere else. But he's bringing in, he's definitely bringing in a black woman into the uh, Supreme Court. No doubt about it. Okay. Just 37% of people, folks, appreciate Joe Biden's management of foreign affairs. 54% disapprove. There you go. That's just for starters on something that people don't even know anything about. 19% strongly approve of Biden. One in five. Like, come on, man. 49% strongly disapprove. They also disapproved of his presidential performance. Overall, they told Rasmussen they approve of Biden's job performance. And only 40%, 59% said they disapprove. Let's just go by the numbers, shall we? Let's count it. We're counting them down. I'm always waiting for Dad to finish that one. He's like, he sees the hits from coast to coast. Folks, today we're going to be looking at one of the worst presidents in modern American history with a little bit of help from our friend Jim Pinkerton. Num and here's number, Eddie with the countdown. <laughs> number five. Donald Trump's percentage point advantage over Biden in a hypothetical 2024 rematch. Trump 49, Biden 44. That's according to McLaughlin and Associates. January 19th poll. Coming in at seven, two times. The inflation rate, that's what it is. Over trading economics, uh, December 2021. A high since June of 1982. Not since trading places and Mortimer <laughs> meeting Eddie Murphy on the street has it been that high. Remember that? Uh, oh, yes. We were going to phase out the penny at that point. Do you guys remember that? We were going to phase out the penny. Inflation had gotten so high. Net percentage of Americans who want Anthony Fauci to, Fauci to resign. Yeah. 
That Four, warms the cockles of my heart. Yeah. 53% <laughs> of you want him to resign. 46% want him to remain. Fauci's been nowhere, by the way. No public appearances, nothing in the last week and a half. That's how bad he's impacting things. Here's the uh, percent in the deficit and the approval, disapproval of Biden's handling of the coronavirus pandemic. Nine, 54% disapprove, 45% approve. The number of 12 years, and let's stop here, folks, because Albuquerque is mentioned, New Mexico is mentioned twice in this. Number of major U.S. cities that hit all-time highs for homicide in 2021, 12. Well, let's count them down, shall we? Here they are. Number 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 one at the very top of the list, right? With a on a rocket, I think is what they used to say back in the day. Right? With a bullet is the way you used to say. You know, uh <clears throat> Wolfman Jack with a bullet. Albuquerque achieved its eighty second homicide, its highest since twenty nineteen, back on August of twenty twenty one. Shall we move it up a little bit? Let's see who did uh, sep- September. Kind of amazing. Nobody really touches September. Nope. Except for Austin, Texas. They achieved their 60th homicide, highest since 1984 in that blue run city. How about uh, uh, no weathers in September? How about October? Well, a bunch of them. Portland, Oregon, their highest since 87, had their 72nd homicide. Tucson, Arizona. Hit it, in, hit it in October, their 80th homicide, highest since 2008. Remember, this is all under Biden. Baton Rouge had their 137th homicide, their highest since 2020 in October. Also in October, listed, no, nobody else listed in October. November, Indianapolis, Indiana, 246 homicides. It's highest since 2020. Uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, excuse me, Louisville, Kentucky, 175th homicide. Uh, Rochester, New York in November. It's highest since 1991 with 71 homicides, Blue Run City. Toledo, Ohio, 62nd homicide. Yep, there you go. And, of course, the murder capital of the world, murder capital of the United States, excuse me, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 501 homicides. It's highest since 1990. And it's highest in the modern area since they've been keeping records since 1960. Columbus, Ohio, 179 homicides. And finally, in December, St. Paul, Minnesota, with 35 homicides, its highest since 2020. So there you have it, folks. Read them and weep. Albuquerque, the absolute worst when it comes to homicides. No place like Albuquerque. And you guys decided to go ahead and reelect one Tim Keller. So let's uh, continue with uh, more of these numbers, uh, shall we? Difference between the percentage of Republicans who express high enthusiasm for voting for the 2022 midterm elections the percentage of Democrats who are similarly enthused. GOP, 61% enthused. Democrats, only 47% enthused. Uh, job approval of Congress, only 18%. The latest is the 5% uh, point decline in congressional approval is attributed to a 10-point decline among Democrats, folks. How about the percentage of likely voters who approve of Biden's, jo- Biden's job performance? 19, as we've already told you. 32 is the percentage of Americans who cite immigration as the most important issue. That's up from 18% a year ago. That is taking the gain. Yeah, yeah. that is uh, huge. Percentage of Michiganders who have a positive view of Joe Biden, only 32%. (laughs) Gretchen Gretchen Whitmer only has 41% support. Right around Michelle Lujan Grisham. And speaking of the little lady, 52% 
of New Mexicans wish to see someone other than Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham win this year. 39% wish to reelect her. That's according to a signal poll put out by Greg Zanetti on January the 21st. And finally, percentage of Americans who think the nation is headed in the wrong direction, 72, according to NBC News. Now, here's some interesting things, given this very negative uh, information. 1836 was the last year that a sitting Democratic vice president was elected to the presidency. That would mean that Martin Van Buren, hey, the Van Buren boys. Why do we hold up nine? Because he's the ninth president, the Van Buren boys. You got to know the Seinfeld episode. Kamala Harris were to attempt to succeed Biden. It would be the first time that that has happened in 188 years or uh, two and a half Willie Browns is the way that uh, <clears throat> Kamala Harris might measure that. 1856, last year that a Democrat eligible to run for re-election chose to retire and was replaced by another Democrat. Last time that it happened, Franklin Pierce, quite possibly the worst American president, handed off to uh, James Buchanan. Is it uh, Franklin Pierce that's considered the worst of all time? Wasn't he gay and... Um, there were some, yes, historical uh, uh, analysis uh, have, have cast some questions. I think usually... The, the historians, Eddie, and don't forget, most historians are liberal, um, so they have their own kind of agenda. But usually they blame Buchanan for not handling the uh, the uh, unpleasantness that arrived in 1860, 1861. But uh, as a libertarian, trust me, folks, we've had a lot of bad presidents. <laughs> and in my lifetime, we've had almost exclusively bad presidents. All right. So this is the worst president of all. I got to go back and look at this. I swear it was uh, Franklin Pierce that they put out there. Um, let's see. Presidential historians. I don't see it up here. Um, excuse me. I'm almost positive. Okay, James Buchanan is the worst. Then Franklin Pierce. Got it. So, and it, well, they did. How about the baton handoff uh, between those uh, two a holes, huh? In 1856. From worse to worser. Yeah. So he handed it off to the worst president, uh, Jim Jimmy B, uh, right there. So if a Democrat other than Harris were to be the party's nominee in 2024, that would break a winless streak that has been held for 168 years. Uh, let's see, 1968 was the last year the Democratic president chose not to run again. That would be LBJ. We'll have those N-words uh, voting Democrat for the next 200 years. I believe he said that. Uh, I believe so. Yeah. He's resting in hell, just so you know. Um uh, the last year that an incumbent Democratic vice president was passed over for the presidential nomination. Yeah, that would be Joe Biden getting passed over for Hillary. That was Biden you, Clinton. Joe. <laughs> Back in 2016. And the approximate number of additional American deaths from COVID-19 during the Biden presidency, 91,000 compared to uh, Donald Trump there, D. Dowd Muska. As Biden yep. said to Trump during their debate on October 23rd, 2020, when the death toll was around 235,000, Anyone who is responsible for that many deaths should not remain president of the United States of America. So those are the numbers. That's the information. That's the approval rating. Lowest approval rating in the modern era, post-World War II era right now. And here we are kicking off uh, 2022 in fine fashion. We're getting an interest rate hike coming in March, just so you know. Just so you know. Just so you know. You know. Just so you know. The U.S. economy now slowing to a standstill with Omicron supply chain delays and inflation surge. In fact, according to uh, something called the uh, IHS Market Flash Composite, one of the first comprehensive looks at the economic growth, it fell to 50.8. 50 means that it's neither positive nor negative. 
The flash measures economic activity in both services and manufacturing. Readings above 50 indicate growth. Below 50 indicate no growth. The gauge of business activity in the business sector fell to an 18-month low to 50.9. The manufacturing metric fell to 55 from 57.7 in December. And finally, all of this being blamed on the president's response to Omicron during this time. So, looking at 2024, wish it was here already to speed up time, lose a couple of years of my life, but I might be willing to trade it if it means a better economy and a better leader here for our country. There's the numbers. That's why we call him Joe Bidens. He's going to be pushing Democrats out of their seats throughout the country. And I can assure you, Joe is not going to be running at the ripe old age of 82 for re-election uh, and the Democrats aren't going to allow that to, to happen, despite the fact that Nancy Pelosi just declared today out that uh, she is going to go ahead and run for uh, Congress yet once again. Yeah, and I, and I think having the member of the House of Representatives out of 435 of them from the district with the lowest birth rate in the country is somebody who can really relate to middle America. <laughs> yes, so so much relations. <laughs> so many ways to relate. Back after a quick break uh, here in the Kiva. And, uh, oh, who doesn't like Skinner? Well, when we return, we're going to talk about why right is right for so much of America. And uh, a little bit of uh, PC news as well. Also, our Covidiots for the week. We'll be talking about that to wrap the hour and we return. Johnny Rotten, John Lydon, uh, one of 10 contestants to take part in the uh, latest, uh, hey, I'm a celebrity. Uh, that from the Nevermind the Bollocks, here's the Sex Pistols. Uh, my first punk, uh, by the way, my first punk tape that I had. I told you about uh, my Def Leppard, my first rock. Uh, that was my first punk. Uh, and I listened to that, wore that thing out, thought it was the coolest thing ever. Because uh, it had Sex Pistols on it. And, you know, oh, I better not show my parents they have the Sex Pistols. <laughs> Johnny Johnny Rotten, right? And then uh, I, have, I have given my life to some advice that Johnny Rotten gave when I was a young man, uh, Eddie. Don't be nice. It's the kiss of death. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, remember, that's exactly how Richard Branson uh, achieved fame. <laughs> yes, he put yes, uh, the Sex Pistols on the Rither Tame, right? Uh, Rither Tem. Um right, right. Uh, Leiden on this day back in 04 was one of 10 contestants to take part in the latest I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here UK TV show set by the Australian Outback. Former Sex Pistols singer was seen by 11 million viewers in the first night covered in birdseed being pecked by giant ostriches. He earned that. He was paid 25 k or $42,500 to appear in the show but walked off the jungle set after four days. He couldn't take it despite the fact that he needed I needed the money. Um, let's continue, uh, shall we? 550, 5,500. Right is right is right is right. Let's talk about Can uh, Canada because, you know, we talked about how uh, Jordan Peterson resigned his position over at the University of Toronto. And Canada is every bit as stupid as you imagine them to be. They, they, they truly are. And this woman came out, Tara Hanley, talking about groupthink. 
She's an attractive lady. She's got a, a certain um, element to her despite being unattractive. Is that, is that fair to say? Can you say a woman is attractive despite being unattractive? I think you can. There's, there's a lot of uh, women who have that uh, sort of, um, I don't know what it, je ne sais quoi, but it wouldn't be that. You'd have to call it something else, right? That's, a, that's certain something. She states, I quit my job as a current affairs radio producer at the CBC, which is like, you know, RNPR or anything else uh, that you <laughs> yes. get, uh, the BBC in Britain. British. State media. Yeah. She wrote an open letter explaining that she felt a pervasive woke ideology and obsession with identity politics, coupled with a lack of interest in broader issues. And it created for her a climate in which it was difficult to do journalism. <laughs> that was her job. Like non-barony Filipinos upset about lack of LGBT terms in Tagalog. That's hilarious. That phrase alone. She's got a great sense of humor. Or a list of offensive words Canadians should avoid using, including brainstorm. Why? Lame and become editorial priorities at the CBC. So I came to find our coverage increasingly ideological and lacking in any critical thinking, but my repeated efforts to push back from within accomplished very little. She states, what's going on in our newsrooms? Why has a segment of our media shifted dramatically left? Why has the liberal press adopted a woke ideology that's largely unpopular public? And why does that media leadership have so little self-awareness of any of this? She says that the business is under threat. They've lost subscribers, ad dollars, audience to social media, throwing traditional business models into turmoil, constantly looking for approval and resulting in layoffs and outlet closures financial incentives are what drive angry and polarizing content is what they say outlets increasingly target consumers on either side of the political spectrum and cater content to the echo chambers now that's important okay i want you to listen why that's what i keyed in on right i mean look at my business what i do how i do it i mean i cater to one particular group of people and then i drive it even harder against even the group of people that divide us within the group of people right Thing that's pretty fair to say and of course we've got uh dowd adding uh you know his thoughts uh, to the matter as not being part of uh, that type of ideology he's separate from that which keeps us sort of off balance and at the very same time you know we find different places where we disagree and agree she goes on to say if that was all not enough hiring and training practices are more and more shaped by woke ideology selecting the journalist for who's on board at least willing to go along with it twitter exerts undue pressure on newsrooms delivering the illusion of societal consensus where one does not even exist but it appears that it could exist or that it does exist and cancel culture enforces a climate of fear so there is a nice little moving company called blue line uh-huh police officers blue line uh, get it get it get it get it this one particular guy has openly decided to help people who want to move to a place we already talked about earlier in the broadcast, which is Florida. There's massive migration in the United States and we're moving people out of other states to flee blue states and moving them to draconian free restriction red states to allow for more freedom. 33 states saw population increase. 17 states in the D.C. lost population, 11 of which had losses of over 10,000 people. Well, here you go. Here's the list. This particular guy, John Rourke, is catering only. I want to angle my business to be a mover of the conservative party. Not even saying Republicans at this point. Like, you got to be conservative. It was an inspiration to a guy by the name of Bob Sa Saki. 
who openly openly has his own real estate company that only caters to conservatives. Says he was disheartened by the fact that I was being instructed to put my personal political views aside because it had been bad for business. I'm not doing what the media is doing. I'm not doing what journalists are doing. By the way, incidentally, I should say the top inbound moves were to Vermont. What? 74%. South Dakota, South Carolina, West Virginia, Birdie Mama, Florida, all red states except for Vermont. Okay. By the way, that's proportional. Today released also stated that the top outbound is Jersey, Illinois, New York, Connecticut, and California. So there you go. So what's going on here? Right is becoming right. The right is right. That's what's happening right now. There's been a big push by left-wingers to try to demonize extreme right-wingers, right? Move away, domestic terrorists, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they just, the name calling, the finger pointing, it's nonstop all the time. One of the things that's driving that is people didn't like the polarity of the climate that came in with Donald Trump and his presidency. Here's some of the background and one of the reasons why news media is catering to this type of woke ideology in its newsrooms and why journalism truly is dead. Half of Americans view right-wing militia groups as a threat to the United States. What? You guys are running around with American flags. Why? Because you don't want to say you're, oh, you can't say you're against Black Lives Matter. Those are, those are practically patriots. They say that they pose an immediate and serious threat to the country. Members of the known right-wing extremist group, including Oath Keepers, Proud Boys, and Three Percenters have been charged in connection with the attack of January 6th. The poll found that 81% of those surveys view domestic terrorism as a threat. 66% view right-wing militia groups as a least a minor threat. 31% of Republicans who responded to the poll said that such groups pose no threat to the country. 31%? Why is it not 81% of Republicans say that, oh, yeah, it's because a majority of Republicans eat up the mainstream media bullcrap, which is why you have rhinos. The poll also found 52% of Americans survey had a very unfavorable opinion of Oath Keepers. I doubt that 52% of people can even identify what an Oath Keeper is. 75% of Democrats polled, they said had a very unfavorable opinion of the Oath Keepers. An additional 5% said they had somewhat unfavorable opinion. That's 80% four out of five. What are you finding here? This is called manufactured news. Why? This particular poll was done by The Economist. It's a chaser poll, meaning they're chasing their conclusions by manufacturing information, which you'll continue to see. The numbers don't lie, folks. People vote with their feet now, and they go to red states, and they like what they see when they move to red states. Safer, better, more economically th uh, thriving and vibrant, and guess what? They don't have any of that political correctness. 550-5500, that's 550-5500, last segment. Uh, if you want to hit the covid see when uh, we return, but... Uh, Again, Dow, there we are. The right-wingers right are going to continue to get uh, demonized. The, you know, the ludicrous notion that white supremacist militia types are anything presenting anything close to a significant threat. Yeah, there's a Yahoo in South Carolina with no teeth, and he's 91 years old, and he's, yeah, burning, yeah. Cro he's burning crosses. Those people exist. Let's just talk about, let's see, the recent synagogue hostage situation, which could have gone uh, – 
very murderous very you know, quickly. Don't think that was a what, white supremacist right winger. We had that was yesterday, Eddie. We talked about the data from Baltimore right. on the children being murdered in Baltimore throughout the last five years. How many white supremacists killed those uh, children of color in Baltimore? And right here in Albuquerque, as we're setting records, I don't think that the Proud Boys and the skinheads are out uh, murdering people on the streets of Albuquerque. Seems like a lot of gang activity, a lot of road rage, rage incidents, uh, a lot of drug-related stuff. Not, not too many white supremacists. Uh, if you don't think that culture matters more than politics, look at that number, ladies and gentlemen. The media, academia, entertainment pushing this narrative that right-wing militias and white supremacists are the biggest threat to your personal safety <laughs> – Look at the data. They've been pushing that narrative, and a significant portion of the population think it's true. Um, it's madness. Never mind the bollocks. Here's the right-wingers coming to a state near you. Back after a quick break. Back to wrap the hour with some covid before we move into hour three. Back to life. Back to reality. Back to life. Back to reality. Little Jazzy B, happy birthday to her, British DJ, producer, and entrepreneur, founding member of the Brit British group, Soul to Soul, who had the 1989 hit right there. There you go, uh, number one single, Back to Life. I remember that song. It was, uh, it was a good one. Uh, we are back to life and back to reality, but unfortunately, those covidiots never will be, Dowd. Uh, let's race through them very quickly before we wrap the hour. The idiocy is all over the state folks and around the country uh <laughs> two women show how completely insane covid media media has driven people uh and there's a film on this i looked for it and i found it so uh these women lose their minds and they're sort of caught between two different things their covidiacy and then being politically correct black man on an elevator two middle-aged white women got on freaked out you're just looking at the video is that he wasn't wearing a mask, right? Which is indicated by which she, that she speaks, unmuffled by the face diaper. At some point during the freakout, the man began filming the woman as they tried to film him. Idiot. Despite being terrified by his germs, the woman swarmed the man, at which point he put his hands up defensively to protect against them. One of the women then hit him, and then when he called her on it, she began chanting, oh yeah, you guessed it, Black Lives Matter. <laughs> While her companion continued to insist that he leave the elevator. <laughs> you can't make this up. There you go. These women have absorbed every little bit of madness that the leftists have pumped into them. COVID fear, mask mania, racial obsessions, bullying, and it's all there in a 30-second video. Um, how about this uh, Josh Freed, aptly named? Freed himself from, freed his mind from the Canadian... COVID restrictions that were coming in. He wrote in the Montreal Gazette. Reed explained that he and his wife fled Quebec for a week. And in response to the harsh lockdown measures in Quebec to a refugee and jetted off to Florida. He even took issue with every single thing that he could in Canadian. Then when he got to Florida, he suddenly became Canadian again. Yes. Why? 
because he could not be unimprisoned. He complained they weren't giving sufficient enough attention to COVID in Florida. COVID totally dominates the news because there's almost nothing else happening, he wrote. In Florida, it's the reverse. We Montrealers live in a tense, depressing pandemic bubble, all COVID all the time, which is why many people avoid following the news, he admitted. But now he has become a pro-lockdown journalist, jetting down to Florida for a luxury vacation so he can escape the curfew. And in between cocktails, he says how much he hates Florida. More COVIDiacy? Well... The pandemic's impact on New Mexico family. Amber Wallen, executive director for Voices for Children, they released the Kids Count data book, probably in her mask, in restrictions, socially distanced, fully vaxxed. Wallen talks about the COVID restrictions. Over time, graduation rates are improving. We're also seeing big improvements over time in the number of young children that have access to high-quality early childhood education and care opportunities. At the very same time that schools throughout the entire state are closed off and teachers are not showing up to teach their classes. There you go. They uh, acknowledge, and rightly so, that the COVID challenges are impacting, ladies and gentlemen, the young children of the state of New Mexico. And finally, just a little bit of a sports update want to include this. Uh, remember, University of New Mexico does not have a University of New Mexico soccer team. Other st- uh, sports are all being sidelined throughout the rest of uh, the, the Albuquerque public school system, the New Mexico state public school system. Eastern New Mexico has decided to open things back up. They're spending $315,000, or excuse me, $297,000. They'll bring in $315,000 so they can travel in and out of the state They are expressing optimism, despite the fact that Eastern New Mexico is requiring the vaccinations. Uh, They are headed back out onto the pitch, and they're touting their Eastern New Mexico University soccer program as uh, something that's going to be bringing in revenue and business uh, into their Eastern New Mexico Greyhound uh, uh, school there, Dowd. So there you go. The Covidiots are everywhere here in this state and throughout the rest of the country. Well, I just hope that the ENMU uh, soccer program's website does follows the model of the New Mexico United and puts a Black Lives Matter toolkit on in their digital outpost there, so that we could all learn what to do. <laughs> when we return, hour number three, you, me, and the Dow three thousand. We're going to be talking about uh, yes, Mister Soros himself of the local area, and that would be Raúl Soros de Porres. Uh, actually, for hour three. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening.
106 of the 505 with more 411 here for your third hour. The music of Wham! Freedom in China, no less. Uh, that uh, film long ago. And happy birthday to, uh, yes, uh, happy 60th uh, birthday to uh, Mr. Andrew Ridgely, who happens to still be alive. No, he did not die last Christmas. And yes, his partner was George Michael. And no, they weren't lovers. And, uh, well, Andrew Ridgely... Yep, uh, born on this day back in 63, actually 59 years old, one half of Wham. The uh, 84 UK US number one single, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, plus 10 other UK top 20 hit singles. He became a prominent environmentalist, unfortunately. Uh, so sorry to hear about that. And the cause of British surfing beaches and riverways, working with UK charity, Surfers Against Sewage, hilarious. He lives with his girlfriend, Karen Woodward, of the pop group, Banana Rama, you might remember the Cruel Summer, you know, uh, Ralph Macchio, uh, the Karate Kid, Paint the Fence, Up and Down, Side to Side, Daniel San, Third Hour, Edoud Muska. Yes, he well, Eddie, I will just say, sure. listen, for people who were accusing those young festive lads in the 1980s of having a particular proclivity, uh, you dance around in, with pop music wearing pastel uh, dolphin shorts, you know, some people made some assumptions, but uh, a cut off pink gloves with the fingerprints, right? Uh, neon, all that. Uh, I, re I remember when uh, it was, you know, they just coming out. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, when Wham, what can you say coming out without inferring that they're gay back in the day? I don't think you really could. I remember uh, people staring at George Michael and just remarking yes. about yes. how beautiful he was. Yes. Or yes. I think that's the first time I ever heard someone say that that man is pretty. Uh, and I also recall the Dana Carvey sketch on Saturday Night Live when George Michael was on his own uh, cutting videos. I think maybe was it uh, Faith or one of the other videos where most of the video is his derriere and <laughs> Dana Carvey doing George Michael saying, look at my butt, look at my butt. It's a perfect circle. Look at it. Oh, Dana. <laughs> oh, that, that, is, uh, that doesn't even come up. Uh, and is it, or is it, uh, let's see, look at my butt, uh, from SNL. Yeah, there it is. That's exactly right. Dana Carvey. Look at it. Accept it. Look at it, Dennis. Look at my butt. The worst thing you can do is try to ignore it. Yeah, it's a total circle. Don't you see? You can't hide from it. Excuse it's me, a force George. to be reckoned with. Accept it before it destroys you. <laughs> There you go. Uh, look at my butt. There's a segment with... Uh, well, Saturday Night Live was funny. Yeah, uh, with Dennis Miller there, uh, no less. Uh, yeah. There you go. That great Dennis Miller, of which we get our great intro music from. You get what you give. Oh, best best intro, uh, by the way. And uh, now our intro, thanks to the uh, aforementioned Dennis Miller, who I met up in Santa Fe when he was uh, broadcasting uh, up there. All right, third hour, ladies and gentlemen. 550-5500, we're going to call, uh, uh, get on a lot of things, but we got to cover crime. And one of the things that's going to fail and is going to be squarely, I've already talked about really thematically what is the big deal here in the uh, state of New Mexico is the city of Albuquerque homicides, 128 homicides on the year, uh, a record which may never be equaled or broken unless, uh, and the Democrats are going to let that happen. Even if there is murders, they probably won't even report them. I believe what we already have nine uh, for the first part of the year. So not on pace to eclipse uh, last year. Um, here's what has happened. I want you to hear first about why this has all happened in the first place. And a lot of this has to do with attorneys, has to do with bad attorneys at that. Okay. Whiny attorneys. 
attorneys who are constantly on the side of the criminals. One of the reasons why the Charlie Daniels law, we had the Arnold tool, like we just want to be more understanding of our criminals because we have so many damn criminals here in the state. They didn't want to just keep incarcerating people. You're going to, you aren't going to incarcerate your people. Your uh, your society into a safer society. Like how, many, how long have we had that beaten into us? And we've seen quite the opposite. You know, the Arnold tool allowing the threat assessment to kind of uh, weed itself out, and inevitably, what happens is we put the criminals right back out onto the streets. Right? And then they try to say, "Oh, well, those criminals that are out on the streets—they're not bad guys." I'll give you the latest case in point. What's even worse about this, or let me compound this by the fact that the media coverage literally tries to enable all of this, okay? Not just your George Soros paid district attorney, right? Not just Raul Soros de Porres. I'm talking about Martin de Porres. We'll talk about that. Diversity, racial tensions, you know, you remember the patron saint, right, for diversity? I remember the uh, the black saint on, uh, you know, life is... Uh, you know, make a, say a little prayer, Madonna back in 89, right? That, that she was dancing with Martin de Porras, who was just recently uh, canonized at that point. So these attorneys come out, they find their little criminal buddies, okay? And they're like, well, I know he's accused of some terrible things, but those conditions inside the jail are terrible. That's what a jail is. Sorry. Why does the news cover this crap? Oh, yeah, because they know who uh, sort of pads their paychecks. It's the attorneys who buy their commercials. It's the political types who pay for all their ads during to put them in the red for the year or put them in the black from the red in the year. So attorneys are now arguing that conditions are so unsafe that their clients shouldn't be held before trial in the jail. Wah! Metropolitan Detention Center in Albuquerque is admitted to facing low staffing challenges. We can't keep our guys there. Well, we have 22-year-old Darius. Uh, his, his parents couldn't spell, apparently, because they uh, uh, doubt. How do you spell Darius? Don't look. Uh, I believe the Persian spelling is D-A-R-I-U-S. Oh, like Darius Rucker. Yeah, that's how normal educated people would spell Darius, right? Now, this guy, his parents couldn't spell whole lot of stupid in the family and they apparently uh darius d-a-r-r-y-u-s darius and there's some weird combo darius chavez <laughs> so can't help it these problems are so severe the attorneys argue the inmate's health is at risk because of fights officers not checking in lack of access to short-staffed nurses, and COVID running through the jail. Well, uh, this past Monday, the uh, arguments were in court. So now, poor little Darius Chavez will have to stay in jail a little while longer. His hearing was delayed until next week. He probably just stole something, I'm sure. No big deal. Well, apparently, uh, Chavez tested positive for COVID-19 after his arrest last week. Yep. So he's in quarantine. I, I like the way his attorney refers to him. My client, Mr. Chavez. Like, he's 22 years old. Doesn't even know how to wipe his ass. And you're going to call this guy my client, Mr. Chavez. He deserves equal protection under the law. Oh, does he now? Okay. And that's exactly one of the reasons why his attorney, Ryan Villa, 
doesn't want him in MDC. It's bad over there. No, really bad. It's worse. Over at my Ruka's house, and she hasn't cleaned in a year. No, but it's worse at the jail. I'd rather go to the Ruka. In pretrial detention hearings, defense attorneys typically argue why those accused of crimes are not a danger to society. <laughs> oh, he's not a danger, right? He's just low, low-level criminal. Yeah, maybe bought a candy bar. Huh? You got a chimmy over at All Subs? No. Chavez's attorney is uh, arguing for exactly that. He says that Chavez, get this doubt. According to QB Channel 4, has strong ties to our community. <laughs> and then he would he would accept house arrest and GPS monitoring. He is such a good guy. A altar boy goes to visit old folks in the home. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, uh, Senor Villa is adding a whole different argument now. That NBC is unsafe for inmates and that my client shouldn't be held in jail before trial. He says inmates are in grave danger now. And that the pandemic had disastrous and tragic consequences over at the MDC, no. Plus, the recent cyber attack on the county has also caused problems. Man, talk about reaching. So they're, they're, they're crying all sorts of things. All sorts of llores, no, mijo. The jail staff members have lost their clients. They couldn't find them to bring them to meetings because they get so scared. Very ex- concerning. The tensions are high. And they ignored the last guy's pleas for help before he took his own life just a year ago. Like, honestly, are we really that worried about these guys? They, you commit the crime, you do the time. So all sorts of lawsuits are coming forward. They're trying to say that it's unsafe for the criminal. What about the streets? Isn't that more unsafe? Isn't it more unsafe? Well, remember, this guy just stole a rocky road over at uh, Walgreens. Or did he? Here we go, folks. Here's where the great enabler, KB Channel 4, KOAT Channel 7, KRQE Channel 13. So you've got nurses quitting. Nobody wants to be there. It's dangerous. They had a court hearing about this whole thing because uh, Darius, double R with a Y, and his stupid parents. Here we go. Can't even spell his name. How do you spell my name? I don't know how to spell my son's name. It's Darius. You know, sound it out. Darius. <sighs> he's involved in murder. Yeah, that's right, folks. We're trying to get this guy out because, uh, you know, he's not a danger. He's connected to the community. No, right? He's connected to the community. Investigators say surveillance video helped them make three arrests, including Darius, double R with a Y. According to a criminal complaint, he is the man shown moving, aiding and assisting, and moving a roadblock. He's got multiple charges, including murder. His attorney is arguing he didn't know about the plan to kill somebody. Police say another person in custody, Assad Moody, pulled the trigger using rounds consistent with the AK-47. They're still searching for the final suspect, 21-year-old Jonathan Martinez. I guarantee Assad and Darius, double R with a Y, know where Jonathan Martinez might be. Folks, this is what the media is arguing to put back out onto the street. This is what they're covering. They're making it sound like a sob story. They're putting the mic in front of the attorney who's like, well, these, are, uh, these aren't good living conditions. His client is accused of murder. Like, you can't make this kind of stuff up. And he didn't even murder the right guy. <coughs> yeah, I'm going to eat your... identity. <laughs> 
the Albuquerque Journal starts covering this, and they have Raul Torres, you know, the guy with the $500 shoes, $500 pointy shoes. No, he, he's Rico. Rico Raul Torres. Hanging out with uh, supposed Republican Nicole Chavez. And other family members uh, before the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing in the state capitol. Testy back and forth. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham says that she wants this stuff done. District Attorney Raul Torres is spinning. Why? Because he's running for Attorney General. This man does not deserve to be Attorney. If you want the rest of the state to look just like Albuquerque, elect Raul Torres. Yeah, I'm, I'm suggesting that you strongly. Uh, if there's only two guys on the on the on the ballot there, you got to pull. You got to be pulling for Colon at this point. And and and, and Brian Colon knows how I feel already about him and. If I'm picking him, I do not think very highly about Raul Torres. So Raul Torres, the George Soros paid Raul Torres $107,000. That a legislative report that found higher arrest and conviction rates would do more to address crime rates than holding more defendants in jail. There you go, Raul. Raul Torres wants to put Darius Chavez, double R with a Y, back out onto the streets. That's inaccurate. Why? Because he was for the Arnold tool. He's the one who helped bring it in. He also said the report is based on a misunderstanding of the criminal justice system. Oh, is it now? I see. Well, critics of the detention proposal, pretrial detention proposal, push back. Kim Chavis of law offices of the public defender saying it would lead to overcrowding at jails. You know how many people the MDC could actually hold versus what it is? We're like at 40% capacity. Right, right. Let's not even include the number of people that Michelle Lujan Grisham turned back out because of quote-unquote COVID. They're dealing with staffing shortages, pandemic-related issues, they say. We shouldn't put him in there. Just leave him in there. I like how they always put Mark Moore as a football player. He's a football player, and he's scared of people out on the streets. He comes out and says that, well, this is bad. It's time for legislators to acknowledge the 2016 constitutional amendment that eliminated New Mexico's cash bond system and replaced it with a new system Allowing judges to order defendants to be held behind bars until trial was a mistake, and it is. First thing Mark Moores has got uh, right in over a year. The pre-child detention bill backed by Governor. House Bill 5 is sponsored by a Democrat representative, Marion Matthews, and four other lawmakers, three of them from New Mexico's most populous city. That would be here, Albuquerque. It also make defendants charged with certain violent crimes, including murder, child abuse, assault, on a peace officer have to convince a judge why they should not be held until trial. I could agree with all this, folks. I really could. You could, too. The LFC analysis of the bill suggests the proposed change could lead to, get this, 1,262 additional defendants being held until trial per, until trial per year. That's 1,262 people off the streets. With an estimated cost of $13.8 I wonder how much crime costs when you offset that. They also stated that at least 190 crimes could be prevented a year. So here comes Raul Torres hitting back at the record that he has produced. Talking about the Legislative Finance Committee and their accountability gap. Low arrest, prosecution, conviction rates. Says, oh, this is inaccurate. It's misinformation. Well, here's where the rubber meets the road because there actually has been an explicit amount of effort that's been put forth by people who are trying to get information, including the deputy director of the program evaluator, John Courtney, said he hadn't received Raul Torres' response to a report until the Albuquerque Journal itself sent it to him. 
says, we made repeated requests for information to the district attorney going back to November that have gone unanswered. We sent a report to him a week before hearing and followed up with a call. I personally reached out to him on his cell phone when I started reading things in the press, asking him to contact us with any specific concerns that he has. John said the analysts collaborated with the UNM's Institute for Social Research and a number of criminal justice agencies as well. And guess what? These are all people who work, who are researchers, who are experts, who are statisticians. They said, we believe we did our due diligence as far as reviewing the data and ensuring its accuracy. The 19-page letter told us took issue with many of the data points, stating, the data shows the conviction rate for violent felonies increased, not to decrease. Well, it's contrary to the LFC report. We said the analysis from the second judicial district, that's us, found that the conviction rate for violent felonies had declined over the past decade. It was only 59%, not 78.5%. That's nearly a 20% gap, folks. Is Raul Torres a 20% liar? Torres also said the LFC analysts did not take into account the cases that were dismissed in state court to be filed in federal court. Oh, I'm sorry. Were we supposed to look at that too? He also disputed that his office declines 50% of violent felonies and dismisses 40% of the remaining violent felony cases. He also stated that 37% were declined in that two-thirds of those instances it was due to a lack of cooperation by video. Oh, it's their fault. They didn't want to provide the information. He said the DA's office cannot be expected to achieve 2011's conviction rate. Why? Because the legislators, the policymakers, need to be prepared to return the system the way it exists in 2011. Well, who helped change that? That would be one Raul Torres and all his buddies. That is correct, folks. That's what got ushered in. Why do we know this? Well, let's look at uh, Raul Soros de Porres. First off, uh, who is Martin de Porres? He's a patron saint, a mixed race, barbers, innkeepers, public health workers, people seeking racial harmony. What's the Arnold tool all about? Not putting these guys behind bars. They're poor people. They didn't have a chance to get out. Darius, double R with a Y, Chavez. Martin de Porras says, I'm only a poor mulatto. Sell me. Back in 1603, he said before, he became uh, what he became, a canonized saint. He didn't eat meat. He begged for alms, procuring all sorts of necessities. That's how he did it. He didn't steal. He just asked for it. He succeeded with his alms to feed 160 poor people every day and distributed that sum of money every week to the indigent. Sort of like uh, the way that uh, Raul Torres feels amongst the people that he defends, which are criminals, not the public. That's right. Martin de Porras is tied specifically to something that is very near and dear to Raul Torres, a progressive leftist who attended Harvard, Harvard University. And that would be social justice. That's right. Leveraging his position to create equality. Avowed leftist, communist, Marxist, that's exactly what they're all about, right? They see things through the prism of well, this particular group needs to be, has a higher representation, needs to be more representative. This is exactly what the modern-day Catholic Church has become, of which likely Raul Torres is part of. Creating the social justice element within the church is exactly what he has been pushing. It's the agenda of the modern-day patron saint of San Martín de Porras. The church is now attempting to carry forward that ideal in today's modern world, as you see with Pope Francis. 
This is referenced yet one again in a confederacy of dunces. Ignatius Riley contemplates praying to Martin de Porres for aid in bringing social justice to the black workers at the New Orleans factory where he works. And in music, the first black jazz pianist, Mary Lou Williams' album, Black Christ of the Andes, is titled Saint Martin de Porres. And again, I refer to the Like a Prayer video uh, as well. Now, why is this the thing that I measure directly against Raul Torres? Well, as a social justice guy, you got to put color ahead of everything else. What do we know about avowed communist and deep-pocketed financial uh, 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 financier George Soros? Measure goes right in line with his social justice crusade. I want you to listen to some of this because there are some big district attorneys. This isn't the only place where this is happening. Yes, mind you, we have the highest year-over-year homicide growth, right? We achieved it faster than anybody else. That, that, that's certainly there, right? But what's, what's even bigger than that is the fact that this is happening as a pattern throughout the rest of the country. It just happened here a lot easier than it could anywhere else because there's no fighting back. George Gascon, Tim Fox, Larry Krasner, but there's all sorts of others. According to Mr. Thayer, a researcher who wrote a report about Mr. Soros, influence on left-wing DA candidates is widely, wildly underestimated. Most Americans have no idea what's even happened in their own city. To see the headlines, they see crime taking over cities, but few know that these crime surges are the direct result of George Soros himself and his influence on generous funding of the left-wing Rogue prosecutor movement. Well, let's go to uh, Philadelphia. I said 501 murders, I believe. Is that correct? Survey says. Oh, it is. Mr. Krasner, who won his 2017 and 2021 elections for Philadelphia, received more than $2 million from the Soros-supported PACs, was slammed last month after declaring, we don't have a crisis of crime. He also said he was referring to the overall violent crime. Sounds just like. Raul Torres. In fact, it other was, than the murders, we're doing really well. Oh yeah, very, very well. Philadelphia officially recorded 559 homicides in 2021, the most since the city began keeping records since 1960. Alvin Bragg, 1.1 million. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. What did New York get? Well, record levels of drug, robbery, misdemeanors. Los Angeles County DA George Gascon. A recall petition that's so bad in Los Angeles was circulated last year and it's going to get circulated again. Well, uh, Kim Fox, remember the woman who didn't want to prosecute Jussie Schmollet for faking a hate crime? Well, since her 2016 win, she has $200,000 in reported Soros-linked funding. Kim Gardner has also been accused of using her office for political gain as well, including going after... The uh, white couple that was donning their automatic weapons or semi-automatic weapons and making up lies about them. Well, Soros has uh, been a little bit of a champion and is leading other people as rich people often do. And now there's a brand new, and if the name, with a name like Zuckerberg, it's got to be good. Remember the the old, uh, (laughs) well, guess who's 103 today? Jan Zuckerberg. Chan? Who's Chan? That's Mrs. Zuckerberg. That's right. That's right. Mrs. Zuckerberg gave $1 million to the Liberal Tide Center Fair. Pay attention. Follow the money. Followthemoney.org. 
Go look Tide Center. Go look up the connections to Udall, Richardson, uh, Raul Torres, heck, Maggie Toulouse-Oliver. It's all right there, folks. And also the Just Prosecution Project to promote, quote-unquote, thought leadership for elected district attorneys. I was right. So you got Mark Zuckerberg, Chan Zuckerberg, getting in on the action as well. It also includes other people who are seeking office, including this year, a woman by the name of Miss Ayala. But she would refuse to pursue the death penalty, prompting Rick Scott to remove her from her capital cases. In 2020, Ron DeSantis reassigned the Hope Prof murder dismemberment case to another state's attorney altogether. So let's go ahead and visit Albuquerque and the rest of the country to see where Soros has all of his impact from the Kyle Rittenhouse trial to Jesse Smollett to the attack on the uh, Waukesha Christmas parade, the organized mob lootings in San Francisco, and now the indictment of the Baltimore district attorney have each attracted national attention and spotlight an issue that many law enforcement and politics have been warning for years, the threat of an activist district attorney of which you have, ladies and gentlemen, Raul Soros de Porres. That is correct. So, $29 million in all, one by one, wrapping with Raul Torres. Contra Costa County, California, $275K from Soros uh, for Diane Becton. That's right. Uh, she made the list of the top 100 most dangerous cities in California, all on a bullet, just like that. Increases in both violent crime and property crime increased by several percentage points. Under her tutelage, as we already mentioned, George Gascon, $6 million throughout California DA, a couple million for George Gascon. Homicide rates soared, organized shoplifting sprees that you've been hearing about, trains stopped. You've heard of the UP stuff as well, which we've already covered, Union Pacific, and ransacking mobs of looters. How about uh, Monique Worrell out of Orange and Oscola County in Florida? Yep. After... Uh, she left office to run for Congress, Ayala. Worrell filled her shoes with $1 million from Democracy Pact from George Soros, surging into the race the last minute to help claim her victory against a moderate opponent. There, everything has increased, including the removal of a couple of multiple high-profile murder cases by two different Republican governors. Now, finally, uh, Kim Fox, the most famous Soros-backed DA, Boosted in office with the help of $2 million in Soros cash. You might remember her and to the Jussie Smollett, but she's also presided over the largest spike in homicides in more than 30 years while her office, office dropped charges against 30% of felony defendants during 2020. 30%. Jody Owens out of Mississippi. She recently brought highly questionable murder charges against two police officers uh, in exchange for her $5,000 contribution that she got from George Soros. Kim Gardner, she launched a bogus criminal investigation against Missouri's Republican governor. She also engaged in professional misconduct by hiring a private investigator who has since been charged with perjury and evidence tampering. Also, the lead attorney in the observed prosecution of Mark McCloskey, a couple that has trying to guard their house. She was also caught lying about police officers, campaign finance violations, badly mishandled murder cases as well. And the year after her election, St. Louis became the murder capital of the nation. How about Alvin Bragg out of Manhattan, New York? That's right. He released a memo stating that his office would not be seeking any prison sentences for crimes such as armed robbery, 
drug dealing and burglary. Also, Zoros backed to the tune of $1.1 million. Ulster County, New York, you know what's happening in Rochester. Gun crimes and shootings have increased. The suspect was released in uh, one of, one of uh, Clegg's uh, um, cases because Clegg's office failed to file an indictment on time. Is that not a pattern that we've seen with one Raul Torres? And finally, Larry Krasner out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, got a lot of money. And under his watch, crime rates have soared. And in 2021, Philadelphia overtook St. Louis to become the murder capital of the United States. And Dowd is going to rifle off all the news that is fit to print for one Raul Torres, who Soros didn't have to pay very much for. Well, and I'm also going to supplement this uh, writing, Eddie. And this is great research by the Capital Research Center, a group in, in D.C. Uh, they do great work. Uh, although his ties to Soros are less well-known, well, not with us, <clears throat> and his ideas are slightly less radical, we'll, we'll, we'll comment on that in a minute. Torres has gotten $107,000 in Soros cash. Uh, that boosted his campaign in 2016, a campaign in which he ran against no one. Uh, as of mid-November, Albuquerque has experienced, as we say, 102 homicides in 2021, the highest number ever recorded, although our numbers are even even higher. Uh, Torres is busy running, uh, campaigning for uh, Attorney General of New Mexico. What the researcher here did not cite, which I think, frankly, as awful as Raul Torres is on so many of these individual cases, the long-term consequences of what he's engaging with with the Georgetown Law School. Uh, he has filed a civil suit against the New Mexico Civil Guard, a group of patriotic New Mexicans who have never hurt anyone, never beaten anyone up, never shot anyone. Uh, they are challenging the group's presence at uh, that famous statue protest we had a, a few years back now. Um, the either you know claiming that there are individuals associated with other organ at the with the Civil Guard that are associated with white supremacists and neo Confederates. Uh, he is participating in the civil suit with Georgetown's law school, going after these uh, gentlemen who have done absolutely nothing wrong. So I might take a little exception with the researchers claim that Toros, uh, Torres is less radical than some of these other Soros-backed uh, Soros candidates. I, I think he, he he might be just as radical. Eddie, this is great research because it walks you through some of these counties. I don't even know where these counties are. He has been spreading around money, multiple counties in Virginia, multiple counties in Texas of all places, uh, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, New York, uh, and of course, uh, some of these, uh, Missouri, Missis yeah, Mississippi, multiple counties in Mississippi, even Georgia, uh, ostensibly a red place, and let's not forget California. Uh, this is not just a couple of prosecutors. Uh, the Soros Network is, is uh, the tentacles like uh, Hydra in the Marvel Universe. Uh, they extend very, very, very far. And in our case, sadly, here in New Mexico, going after the Civil Guard, guys who have done nothing wrong that I'm aware of. But that's our uh, that's our Raul, p possible future Attorney General of the Land of Enchantment. That's our little Raul, uh, D. Dowd Muska. There he is, uh, just uh, being just Rauling his way. <laughs> Raul Soros de Porros. Uh, there he well, is. Well, you know, and I also just add, Eddie, sure. in, on some level, I. Uh, what's that old Homer Simpson line? You know, I love you, but I will kill you. Um, I respect my enemies because they understand things that the, I think far too many people on the right, conservatives and libertarians don't get. In the military, they talk about full spectrum dominance. Mm -hmm. uh, and in America, we, we have the ability to have full spectrum dominance because it's such you know, well-trained, well-equipped men and women out there uh, dominate the air, dominate the water, dominate space, space dominance. The left 
gets this. They have they have cobbled together, maybe they didn't 100 years ago, but they certainly have gotten it in the last couple of decades, the legislative branch, the executive branch. That means regulations, uh, money that is spent, the news media, entertainment, schooling. And Soros and his people get that also it extends, that full spectrum dominance has to extend to the courts and prosecutors as well. So uh, they are evil, but they're evil geniuses, I would say. They know how to fight this game. They certainly do, and they win it uh, with money. Tomorrow's program, our uh, program uh, Thursday afternoon, uh, will include, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we'll talk during our third hour all about jobs and labor. I'll do a little Tom Brady update on his retirement. Uh, also talking about Bojo, uh, Boris Johnson. Uh, Murder Mike will finally uh, make the rounds. He'll be in here uh, tomorrow afternoon. Uh, we'll talk about some recent shootings. ABQ will keep ABQing. Um, we'll get into Black Lives Matter, Black Laws, and uh, demos as well, including Mississippi and the ever-growing Black immigrant population as well for Thursday afternoon. Your Top 5 is brought to you by, through your subscription directly at www.rockoftalk.chat. Dowd, take it away. Uh, I will also be making a special pleading, Eddie, that we talk about the changing body type standards for the cheer and dance squads at UNM. Oh, yeah. We can get to Let's that. It would make me oh so happy if we could get to that tomorrow. Uh, yeah, folks, this is uh, rockoftalk.chat, the daily blast, daily email waiting for you every uh, every morning at 4 a.m. These are the most clicked items, and you can get this for less than 20 cents a day. Number one, the massage parlor shooting in our beloved Duke City. A little ugliness there. Mm. Number two, uh, Rio Rancho is at... A, an underserved neighborhood in Rio Rancho is demanding a grocery store. Uh, apparently, they had to be told by officials that, yeah, the government can't make a grocery franchise put, uh, a fr you know, put put a store in your neighborhood. We have a, we still have a free market in America. Really weird story. Uh, number three, one of the Real Housewives got deplatformed and canceled. She dared to question. BLM. I, I don't really follow the Real Housewives, but I put I put this in there because it was just another sad case of, of people being canceled. Uh, number four, UNM has released its legislative priorities. Ah. That means that the government university here in Albuquerque, ladies and gentlemen, using your tax dollars to lobby for more of your tax dollars. How, how is that legal? Well, it's legal in New Mexico. And then finally, number five, an interview with the Santa Fe the Santa Fe reporter made with Dr. Scrace, a fawning, oh. sycophantic interview uh maybe we'll have time to get into that later this we week will. But that's our top five there you go i think we'll probably touch upon that on friday see you tomorrow bright and early 4 p.m there he is uh last christmases every last christmas uh george michael thanks everybody for uh tuning in to the kiva on am 1600 kiv com. stay tuned shapiro is next This is The Rock of Talk on AM 1600 KIVA Albuquerque.